Support for Boston Public Radio comes from the Office of the Massachusetts State Treasurer. The Unclaimed Property Division is holding unclaimed funds from utility bills, uncashed paychecks, savings accounts, and more. To see if you have unclaimed money, you can visit findmassmoney.gov. Ahead on Boston Public Radio, it's been about a month since we've changed our habits to stop the spread of the coronavirus. Governor Baker warned next week could be the toughest yet as hospitals in the state brace for the surge. But nationally, there appears to be some good news. Social distancing is working. The real question is, how long can we keep it up? In a couple of minutes, we'll open the lines and take your calls about whether cities and towns should find people who are not playing by the rules. Massachusetts Unemployment website is never prepared to handle more than a million claims for millennials who suddenly lost jobs, navigating what feels like a stone age technology system has left them discouraged. Most everybody else feels like they're banging their heads against the wall over and over. Adding to the state woes, the feds are struggling to get money to expand unemployment to independent contractors and self-employed individuals. We'll get the latest from Boston Globe business columnist Shirley Young. That and more is ahead on Boston Public Radio 89.7 WGBH. Boston Public Radio, 89.7 WGBH. Good morning, Jim. Hey there, Marjorie. How are you today? I'm very grateful to be feeling well. Thank so you. So am I, actually. Thank you for not asking. So uh, <laughs> you meant to ask, though. Did, did you mean to ask? How are you, Jim? Oh, thank you. I'm actually I'm very glad to be well, or whatever you just said. <laughs> very grateful to be well. That's So right. only a week ago, it was a week ago, health officials were debating if everybody should be wearing a mask. Today, you're an outlier if you do not. And in some places, you're actually a scofflaw. Salem, as in Salem, Massachusetts, will start fining people who aren't wearing masks. And in Haverhill, city council has passed an ordinance allowing police to fine anyone who isn't practicing social distancing guidelines. We're opening the lines asking you, is this the right way to proceed? 877-301-8970. Or are you someone who's taken policing in your own hands, calling out people who are flagrantly violating the rules of social distancing. I'd love to hear examples of that at 877-301-8970. You know, I am usually one, as you know, who worries about law enforcement overreach, the government. I like big government doing good things. I don't like big government surveilling us and that sort of thing. However, I am so totally on board. If in the middle of this thing, people are irresponsible enough to put other people at jeopardy by not playing by the rules, whether it's masks or social distancing... And if uh, I mentioned this brief yesterday, and if a cop hopefully says to them, hey, where's your mask or please step back from your whatever and they don't do it. What are you laughing about? I'd like to point out that what are you, what's your you point? have you who has the biggest problem with the authority of anybody I know. If somebody pulls you over for driving like 40 miles an hour, I would say 90 miles an hour, but you drive like an old lady in the mass pike. You have been forced to stand up at the bar at the fire the entire flight of an airplane because you misbehaved in I, your seat. You have we had to go to court with you because you were arrested Dorchester by the State Troopers. I, I just want to point that trooper. out that you're being a little. Um, you would uh, you would not do well. I didn't say that I should be well. fine. I'm not. Let me be clear here. They tried fining me for violating the rules. That is a bridge too far. A bridge too far. Now, I'm serious, by the way. All bets are off here. This is a different kind of time. And obviously, anything that is is more intrusive has got to be sunset, either statutorily or otherwise. But in a moment of seriousness, you don't think if you see people who are violating the rules, if rules exist, like Salem has said, you got to wear a mask. I think the rules are if you're going to a grocery store or a restaurant or some such thing, Mm -hmm. whatever it is, if there's no sanction – 
for violating, not violating the rules. I don't have a problem if people are doing damage to themselves, frankly. Right. But if they're doing damage to other people, then they got to pay a price, and then maybe they'll learn a lesson. No? No? <laughs> I guess so. I mean, it, it is amazing how quickly this has just changed everything for us. I mean, think about this. What do you mean? Th- think about two months ago that you would be fined and perhaps arrested <laughs> for not wearing a mask on the streets of the city or You're not going to be arrested. You'd did you make a pond for walking in the wrong direction or also it's going to Walden Pond you make a pond walk in the right direction one way around the pond I love that idea but we're going to talk to Emily terrific. about that at noon I think it's a terrific you know, idea and, and also I think about why won't you answer that, my question by the way should people be fined yeah I, I, would, I would do a tase like a little <laughs> not, a, not, not, not a real taser okay, not a real taser how about, how about people, individual policing a little, like a little like a little electric shock. Okay, but how about how about a citizen's not arrest? We're not talking about arresting people. You're I was joking about it with you yesterday. Mm -hmm. How about how about the notion that if forget a cop for a second, even though I think it's fine within certain bounds for them to enforce the rules with fines, and that's you get a warning the first time and then a fine, and that's that's how I would uh, do this kind of thing. How about individuals encouraging fellow individuals on the planet? To play by the rules respectfully, too. Don't you think? I mean, it can be dangerous, I'm sure, in certain circumstances. <laughs> it can be very dangerous. It can be dangerous, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you have to make sure they're little teeny They're tiny smaller than you, yes. <laughs> yeah. It's like when I would lean on my horn in a car and first make sure the person in front of me was like an old lady. No disrespect to old ladies, by the way, but I figure I could take one of those if I had to. In any case, 877-301-897. There are two questions yeah. on the table. Are places like Salem and Haverhill, and I think I read Beverly, too, where there's a – I think Beverly is one of the places where at least some of the sidewalks are one way, like you're talking about Walden Pond or Jamaica Pond or whatever it was. Yeah, Walden Pond. Okay, so one, the question is, is it okay with you if there are such regulations in place or rules in place that uh, their police authority find people, if it turns out, warn, find people – if they're in noncompliance, I would say yes. And secondly, are you somebody who has taken it in your own hands and hopefully politely and respectfully with good results urged other people who are not playing by the rules, walking too closely to people they don't know or or not wearing a mask or not social distancing, that you sort of what? thing? Have you taken it in your own hands to respectfully warn your fellow residents? This is going to be like heaven on earth for what that type of people. Well, there are certain type of people. We all know who they are. Some of our friends or neighbors or family members who you know. Well, if someone doesn't shovel the snow within like oh, yeah. half an hour, they're oh. out there on, they're on a rampage. Or at the office, if someone like take somebody's yogurt out of the refrigerator. You know, Someone took have... one of my frozen breakfast sandwiches in, a, in all seriousness. There are like eight people in the building, yeah. so I think I can narrow it down pretty quickly. Well, you don't you need know, to you be to... Inspector Poirot. I mean, people go crazy over those kinds of things, or they don't follow the rules. You know, if the rule is you're supposed to uh, you know, arrange your desk in a certain way at the office and somebody mm. doesn't do it that way. You know, there are people who love to enforce the rules. This is going to be their finest hour, Jim. They can get out there, and they can just go wild. Can I say one more thing just for whoever the co-worker is, assuming you're listening, who took my <laughs> breakfast sandwich? I'm dusting for Prince. So, just <laughs> I'm taking this you to know the... the people, some people really go wild about the mean? office refrigerator. You know, the rules who and regulations doesn't go of the office, office about wild, But If you put something in the office refrigerator, and then we got to get back on topic, but since you brought it up, if you put something in the office refrigerator, and you've been thinking about it for three days, and your name is on it, or it's in your little section, and somebody <laughs> takes it, you don't think that's a serious problem? <laughs> I don't think it's a serious problem. But I think it's, it's, it's more about there are certain kinds of people, and we all know them, who really get upset when other people don't 
follow the rules. And this yeah. is going to be their opportunity to kind of live out their fondest Yeah, fantasy. but the, you know what the difference is? This is not like – as bad as it is when someone takes your yogurt or something, this is sort of a life and death kind of thing. It's not like whether you have to wait two hours to get your yogurt when you leave work. This is like whether or not your community, okay. your neighbors are going to infect you. So, I, you know, I take it really seriously. In any case, Mary and Beverly. Oh, Beverly. That's one of the places we're talking about. You're first on Boston Public Radio. Thanks for calling in, Mary. Hi. 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 Thank you so much. Um, first time caller, long time listener. Thank you. Um, usually I'm at school when uh, the show is on, so I never have a chance to listen um, live. Well, uh, here's your opportunity. Please. We're sorry you're not at school, but we're glad you're here. Go ahead. Um, So Beverly um, kind of closed off the sidewalks to um, pedestrians that it's a stretch of of beach and park area that's absolutely gorgeous. Mm -hmm. And on a beautiful sunny day like today, um, just has tons and tons of walkers, but the sidewalk is only two people wide. Mm. So I... I really um, agree with the town Good. to, um, you know, make it a one-way uh, street. And, and not only make um, it a one-way street, but if people violate the one-way, one-way sidewalk, sidewalk rules. One-way sidewalk. But, Mary, the question of the day is if they violate the one-way <laughs> on the sidewalk rule, should they pay a price? I say yes. What do you say? Uh, no. Oh. And um, I use – so I work with – So disappointed. With you work with what? I know. I work with students with autism, uh-huh. and one of the lessons that I have to, you know, instill in my students in high school is, you know, they get really irked, just like you, Jim, when, uh, <laughs> when um, other students don't follow the rules. Sure. And so I have to, you know, remind them to act like a duck and let the water kind of roll off their back, and as long as they're taking care of themselves then, you know, the authorities will take care of everybody else. Oh, I Mary, love that. Mary, that's pretty good. That's like pretty duck. good. Just, you know. We got it. Act like a duck. Yeah. Mary, thanks for your first call. We hope you do it again soon. We hope you're teaching again soon. a word of wisdom for many other people, yeah. Let Jim. me just say, water has you... never rolled off any part of me. <laughs> no, but, you know, maybe if Mary was my teacher. But it is the right advice. I mean, the things we got. But again, it Robert is Robert says Jim what? has probably dimed out more people than Edward Snowden. What's <laughs> I, I no, I usually deal with it myself, depending on the size of the of the the scofflaw person. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Now, apparently, there's a great deal of variation out there. A way what people handle this. Well, apparently, Constance has done a survey of New Hampshire liquor stores, and, and she points out at store number one, there's a guard outside, people lined up waiting to go inside, standing six feet, six feet apart, one person in, one person out, and then the next door up the road. No guard, no lines, no masks, and no gloves for the clerks. Well, let me just say this, by the way. Forget individuals being sanctioned, what we can add to the list. If there's a grocery store that is not doing the social distancing inside, the limit, whatever the the limits that the governor put on the other day, which I think are too high, frankly, 40% of the normal capacity counting employees and customers, and if they don't have lines outside, then they should be – the supermarket should be fine too. I mean people who are not playing by the rules in a time – of death and illness have got to pay a price. This is that's the way it is. Tammy and Braintree, hi. Hi. Um, yes, I agree. For um, the collective gatherings, grocery stores, um, hardware stores, stuff like that. As far as an individual maybe walking around their neighborhood, um, 
probably not, but like a larger park where groups of people go. Yep. Uh, furthermore, I saw on TV the other day that in France, um, the police are out actively looking for people, and they're using drones. And if they see someone leave the house, they send someone to that location, and they're finding them. So. Is that really true? Wow. Yeah. I'm okay with that, too, by the way. But again, you know, but th- there's a good example, Tammy, where there's got to be a sunset. I don't want drones flying over my house, checking me out and seeing what I'm doing after this thing is over. But Marjorie's laughing because she thinks I slink around in places I shouldn't be going. But but uh, that's for another day. Uh, she can't speak now. She's whatever. She's incapacitated. But uh, uh, how are you? How do you feel about what's going on in France? Forget what's happening in, in Massachusetts, Tammy. How do you feel about uh, a drone flying over your house, checking you out? Um, during a time like this, I'm okay with that. But as you said, um, any other time, uh, no, definitely not. Well, I'm exactly where you are, Tammy. Thanks for the call. By the way, can you? When drones start delivering pizza and stuff, I mean, is that going to be? That's right around the corner, you know. <clears throat> yeah, that's right around the corner. I think we need to. Uh, I think you should be deputized. You get a little badge. <laughs> you can't go out, though, is the, the point. The authorities have well, got to do you this. you could be six feet apart. I think there are lots of people that would like to be deputized. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Marjorie's obviously having a problem. We don't know why, but she is. So I'll, I'll take over. Jesse and Menden, <laughs> you are next on Boston Public Radio. How are you, Jesse? Good morning. This is my first time calling, oh, but you guys have you. been my therapy since 2016. You're oh, so nice, you Jesse. Very much. Thank you. What's oh up? my gosh, Marjorie! Marjorie, sometimes I think you're in my head. It frightens me. <laughs> <laughs> and, when, and when you fight with Jim, I love it. Oh well, well I love it too. It's too, one yeah. of my favorite things, Jesse. <laughs> Absolutely. Sorry, sorry. Go Thanks, ahead, Jesse. Thanks for your first call. What's up? Um, I, you know, it's funny. I worked in a beer, a beer and wine department that was attached to a, a grocery store uh, until two weeks ago, mm-hmm. and I decided that was enough. I needed to see my grandchildren, so I mm-hmm. went home and I've quarantined. But anyway. Um, at the end of that time, I was wearing gloves, and what worked for me was I, I felt the gloves were keeping the people who give you a hard time about this being real or not, and they have beer and wine, they give you a hard time. Oh, no. I don't want to hear it because it's real. Anyway, and then I also felt a little better because I, I didn't have to wash my hands quite as well, but of course I did when I took them on. Anyway, I feel the same way about masks, that you just feel better if someone has a mask on. Yeah. And I just, I just, because I wear a mask now, and I live in, I live in a small town where not many people are, because we're, we're far apart from each other. It seems silly, but I feel better with it on. Um, as far as whether it should be mandated and fined, um, maybe a first time that some, the, you know, policeman sees them, uh, give them a citation. Give I'm with you. Say, I'm you know, with you. You know, in a week, in a week, we're gonna, we're gonna fine you. We give them some warning. Also, I think it's important for the information on where you can get a mask would be available. Like your local church will have a homemade one mm-hmm. or hand them a paper that says, you know, wear a scarf. This is how you do a scarf. There's so many great ideas out there. So, I mean, there's a way to kind of modify that. Can, and, I, can, uh, can I make? I just think it's a good idea. I do too. And let me give you one more reason that I've learned from personal experience why the mask is a good thing, even if you're in a place like Menden where there's less density than in places where Marjorie and I live in Brookline and, and Cambridge, is uh, you touch your face a lot less uh, when you have a mask on. I mean, it's just, it is what, or if you have gloves on, because it's different from what your, you know, your lifelong relationship between your fingers and your face is, is all of a sudden altered by a mask or gloves, you feel it and it stops you. So there's a there's an ancillary benefit beyond the fact that you're less likely to infect somebody else, even with a 
homemade mask. So I, I think it's a wonderful <clears throat> idea. And by the way, Jesse, thanks for your first call. Congratulations to uh, to uh, Marty Walsh, because unlike a lot of public officials who were like Trump, most notably, who don't want to be seen with a mask because maybe it doesn't look yep. cool enough or whatever their problem is. He's walking the walk on this thing. He, you know, day one when he said people should be doing masks, he's on the front page of the Herald with a mask, which was great. You know, Wendy from Falmouth just emailed to show us how fragile many of us are in this situation. Yeah. She says she's otherwise, you know, a very uh, friendly person, you know, live and let live and all that kind of yeah. thing. Well, she's in the post office yesterday. She's waiting in line, and she wanted to keep a wider separation than the yellow lines indicated. And she said a woman behind her told her to move up to the yellow line, and she told Wendy turns around and says, no, I'm, I'm fine where I am. And then uh, as she moved up a little bit further, the woman again felt compelled to move up right to the line and get too close to her. And Wendy just said she lost it. She snapped loudly in an out-of-body experience and told her, I told you I am fine. My distance is mine, not yours. I'm comfortable here. And said the whole place went totally silent. Nobody moved. (laughs) Everybody thought that Wendy was a little out of control, I guess. But this is an indication. And, Wendy, thank you for being so honest about that, that we're a little on edge. That was a great dramatic reading, by the way. It was. Thank you very much. we got to take a break. I do what I can, Jim. I know you do what you can. We're talking about uh, cities that are taking social distance seriously, fining people, insisting people uh, keep their distance from each other. Is that a good idea? We're going to keep talking to you on 89.7 WGBH, Boston Public Radio. Welcome back to Boston Public Radio. I'm Jim Browdy. She's Marjorie. And if you're just tuning in, we're talking about the lengths that some cities and towns are going to make sure the coronavirus doesn't spread. In Salem, you'll be fine for not wearing a mask in grocery stores, takeout restaurants, apartment building lobbies. In Haverhill, they'll be finding residents who don't follow social distancing guidelines. A Beverly, if you don't obey whatever it is, the one way on a certain sidewalk kind of thing. We're taking your calls asking you. Is this the right thing to do? Should more communities be cracking down on scoff laws? And whether you believe in that or not, are you somebody who takes this into your own hands if law enforcement authorities are not either authorized or choose not to take it into theirs? 877-301-8970. You know what I learned by watching Sanjay Gupta, who seems to be on TV from 6 o'clock in the morning to 11 o'clock at night? He's the uh, physician uh, that's on CNN. Mm -hmm. That. I goofed this up completely because somebody was kind enough to make us masks here. Then yeah. I, I wore my mask on. I was very excited. It's kind of pink and pretty and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But you're supposed to take it off from behind your ears and then immediately drop it, preferably into the laundry where you will wash it. Oh, I know. You're not supposed to touch the front of it. I did. I mean, that's obvious. Did I oh, think of I that? Guess it is obvious. No, I didn't think of that. So, well, if you wash it, what's the difference? <clears throat> well, the point is, the, the purpose of it is defeated if you are touching it. So don't. Yeah. Don't touch it, and and when you take it off, assume that it is contaminated, and immediately wash it. And there's, as you said, there's great uh, videos on YouTube. Oh, so easy! But how to make up the bandana and two yeah. hair? hair uh, uh, what or are even elastic? What are those hair things called? The oh, hair? Uh, they're rub- they're covered elastic bands. Yeah, whatever they are. You know what happened to me yesterday? I put the mask you, on the two of our coworkers. Made I kept piercing it with a fork. <laughs> you know. No, it was Every great. time I was eating it. No, you well, put the mask on and your ears flipped I, forward. It wasn't funny. No, it's not that funny. 
It's because I have a rather large head, but I mean, speaking of large heads, large my head. friend, I have a large head let too. me tell you something. I can't hold well, a you know, I, candle. It's a very embarrassing thing. I didn't know this. I'm Irish, you know, and I, know you're Irish. I didn't know that the Irish have large heads. They I was do. told that by she, my, one my children's pediatrician. They didn't say large brains, they mm. said large heads. I was kind mm. of insulted, but apparently that's that's the case. Kevin from Nahant. Hi, Kevin. Hey, Kevin. Hey, Jim and Marjorie. How are you? We're good. Good. I'm a longtime listener and a, a former caller going all the way back to your old station. Wow. Oh, well, welcome great. back. Thank you for sticking with us, Kevin. <laughs> but this is a, uh, obviously a different topic. It was all politics in those days, right? Yeah. Um, but in any event, I, I live out in Nahant, and I've witnessed, from what I've seen, I've seen this bring out sort of the best in people and the worst in others. Yes. And I guess what I'm getting at is if you're familiar with Nahant at all, it's a, oh, yeah. somewhat like an island. There's a causeway that goes out, one way in, one way yep. out. And the town is it's one square mile, but it has a lot of beaches. And so what had happened was initially on sort of the town website, you would see a lot of complaints suddenly about people being on the beaches or being somewhere. And um, people really getting rather xenophobic about it, I found. Now, I'm, I'm all in favor of the no parking at the beaches to keep the crowds down and so forth. But it got to the point in this town where there was a sizable group of people who literally wanted to take that stance like at the Cape where we, they wanted to cut the causeway off and not allow, as what they referred to them, as any of the outsiders to come into town to the use others. open spaces. Yeah. Right, the others, which we have a lot of. We have a lot of beaches. Yeah. And I walk the beach every day, and I can tell you, I have seen virtually nobody violating the, the social distancing rules or anything. It's been really quite good from my, you know, that's from my perspective. Maybe mm. others have seen different. But the thing that I found bothersome was that they want to close the causeway off to the others, of course, to, because they don't want them using our, office, our open spaces. But in Nahant, we have no services. So, of course, everybody that is an essential worker has to leave town to do so. The essential workers <laughs> we have in town, Great fire point. and police, need to come into the town. But on top of that, the worst argument was, well, we need our services, so we should be, fair to, we should be free to go into the other towns. Well, what if Lynn took the same position? What if Lynn said, you know, we don't want to catch anything from you Nahant folks, so we're cutting off the causeway this way. And the argument was, well, well, you don't understand, Kevin. You see, we need those services. Those are for us. We need to be able to get our gasoline and go to a fight. Well, Lynn doesn't really consider about that. What if they take the position they don't want you here? And folks were afraid to really admit that this is a two-way street, and we live on Literally. a dead end out here. Hey, can I... it's, uh, so it's, you know, I've seen the best and I've seen the worst. Uh, you know, Kevin, that is <laughs> a, great a great call. Point. Thank you. Great point. Sharon makes another great point. How do you keep your glasses from fogging up when you're wearing a mask? That's a very good point. Well, you wear glasses sometimes, I do. so I don't. They fog so what's right the deal? up. They By fog the way, right up. Uh, they do. Mm-hmm. I have to make a correction. I've been talking about the one-way sidewalk uh, rules in uh, Beverly, and it turns out they are advisory only. Uh, they're not issuing fines, which I assume means that they think that their people are going to comply. Yeah, it says from the story uh, from WCVB that the new restrictions in Beverly. Um, and these other communities all come with a threat of fines, but officials are hoping it will not have to come to that. Mm. I think it should come to that. I, I'm with that caller a few minutes ago. said, so you warn first, yep, warn and then first. you really come down with a hammer. I mean, that's – you really – by the <laughs> way, you know what it's like? Of course. You know how we joke uh, – well, we're not joking in this case. Well, we're not joking in either case. Yep. You know we talk about had there been a few uh, uh, masters of the universe who went to jail in 2008? Uh, the world would have been changed rather Absolutely. than, and they didn't, as we know. There was other. We've discussed this a million times. The brilliant frontline story about that Chinese American family that owned the bank, 
in uh, Chinatown in New York City were the only people that were prosecuted by Cy Vance, who now is relatively notorious for a variety of reasons, a Manhattan DA. Uh, they were the 2600th biggest bank in the country. Well, same thing here. If it turns out that neighbors here, that a neighbor who ignored a mask rule or a social physical distancing rule uh, got a $50 or $100 fine, you know what's going to happen? They're probably going to comply. And so there's a there's a there's a deterrent effect of this in my estimation. And so as I is obvious, I'm all for it. Chris from Southborough. Thanks for calling. Hello, Chris. Hey, Jim and Marjorie. Chris Flynn here. I, I, I am president of the Massachusetts Food Association oh, representing oh, great. The, the grocery and supermarket industry. Hey, Chris. And how enjoy are you? your program. Thank Good. You. Thanks. You're helping me get through this here as I'm working at my kitchen table. I listen to in the background. Great. And a great show. Thanks. Um, I'm calling on behalf of the grocers, which are certainly under siege in trying to uh, to, to, uh, to get the consumers, uh, get their product, get stuff on the shelves, do all this stuff, and now have uh, some requirements they're trying to deal with. So they do the best they can, but it, it is a ma- an unbelievable task, and also want to make sure they keep their workers safe. But some of the issues that you've talked about, there's some misconceptions. First of all, masks and gloves, most stores are allowing their workers to wear them if they want to. But they also are afraid that masks and gloves can also create a false sense of security, and particularly gloves. Because gloves, you can get the virus to adhere to the gloves. And as we've t- you've talked about on the phone, it's very difficult to keep your hands away from your face. Really are, and, and so if you if the wheel thing, and I think the governor's done a great job of talking about this. The big way to stop is is the distancing, combined with hygiene, and disinfecting. You know, Chris, and can I? Can, uh, one place I want to—I uh, don't know if "correct you" is the right word, but since you deal obviously in your organization with a lot of these grocery stores, what was troubling to me the other day is I. I from how you describe it, let's assume for argument's sake there is merit to gloves or no gloves, masks or no ga- uh, masks for people to work there. There was a story in The Globe the other day. There was a day after I spoke to a Shaw's worker on television who had been part of that demonstration in the, uh, uh, outside of Whole Foods early. I think it was Monday of this week. I'm not sure. And the story in The Globe right. said that Shaw's was giving a 5% discount on this uh, protective gear. So they can't have it both ways. If it turns out, first of all, they should give it to them if they want it, but that's the second issue. If they're going to charge them, you charge them cost, which is not 5% off, or you don't. It's sort of like, in my estimation, was a half-assed sort of CYA kind of thing. Don't you think that's a fair characterization of it? I I, I don't know uh, the particulars of of how that... Uh, uh, that uh, proposal came up from the store or whether that is actually w- what happened. What well, was in the Globe? Was it, what, by the way, that wasn't from the employee. That was a Globe reporter who uh, brought that to us. But go ahead, Chris. I'm sorry. Uh, but but the, the problem for the stores about just giving it to everyone initially is it, the problem is getting any uh, uh, getting oh, the, okay. an, adequate supp- an adequate supply. So that's where the thought was initially, and particularly where on, on the mask. Don't forget at the beginning. The Surgeon General and the CC, uh, uh, CDC, CDC was saying that they were not advising wear masks. Yeah, but all and I'm they, saying, Chris, it, it, let me put it this way. Maybe I, didn't, I wasn't as clear as I wanted to be. If it turns out a supermarket 
says it's at the option of the employee as to whether they wear it, and I'm okay with that. If the employee says, I do want to wear it, then assuming they now have access to masks and gloves, they should give it to them. I mean, it's such a basic protection for a worker who's not exactly paid a bundle to begin with, and it seems to me that's a more collaborative showing concern for your employee kind of thing. That's all That's all I'm saying. Yeah, and I think you're, I think you're seeing more of that now. I, don't, I hope so. I don't know in that particular case what's happening. Well, it's becoming more available now, combined with the fact that the Surgeon General and the CDC have changed their position on that. Chris, we hope you stay in touch with us. Yeah, and by thank the way, you. Chris Flynn, he's head of the Mass Food Association. We appreciate your perspective, but do stay in touch because we're uh, interested in your perspective uh, on this uh, stuff. Let's. We have time for one more. Where do you want to go, uh, Marjorie? Let's or... go to Jean in the car. Hi, Jean. Hi, Jean. Hi. How Hi. you guys doing? Great. Great. Um, I just want to tell you a little story. I went into my convenience store a couple of weeks ago. And I walked in, and the owner was behind the counter, a young woman with a nine-month-old baby, and told me that a man had just been in there and told her that his wife had tested positive for the coronavirus. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness is right. Yeah, yeah he's and supposed you to be do? quarantined, right? Well, I haven't been back there since, but um, I first emailed, uh, texted everybody I knew in Bellingham, told them to stay away. Um, I went home, got in the shower, and then I called the Board of Health. Well, I would have to say that was a good move. Do you know what happened at the end? What was the outcome, Gene, or no? Told me, um, the man at the Board of Health told me they were going to uh, follow up on it, and I never heard back. And I haven't been back in there, so I don't, but I'm, you know, she she just kept saying to me, I'm, I'm so scared, I'm so scared. They have, you know, a little baby. It, it's just, like, boggles my mind that somebody can be that idiotic. Well, you did the right thing, Gene, you know, and I hope they're all safe. Thank you for the call. By the way, I was just looking at uh, Twitter while Gene was speaking. Mm-hmm. Uh, David uh, tweeted us, and he tweets, the things you learn, and he has my name and yours mm-hmm. there. He says, Irish people have big heads. <laughs> well, there it is. <laughs> So I assume David was really appreciative yeah. of the information you imparted a couple uh, of minutes ago. Thank you, David. I, should, I have not independently verified no, that, I, but I, that's okay, what my pediatrician told me when my children okay. presented Got with it. these huge heads. Got it. And he asked if they were Irish. Okay. Anyway, we are moving on. Coming up, Boston Globe business columnist Shirley Young joins us for an update on how in pa- uh, uh, the pandemic is reverberating throughout our local economy. She's next on 89.7 WGBH, Boston Public Radio. Welcome back to Boston Public Radio, uh, Jim Brady and Marjorie Egan. Uh, when Boston once again is open for business, will it feast? And by the way, the Trump administration is talking a lot about May being reopening time or famine for Boston's restaurant scene. If people are slow to go back to the days of dining out, could the restaurant network as we know it cease to exist? Joining us on the line to talk about this and other ways the pandemic is churning through local businesses is Shirley Leung. She's the business columnist for the Boston Globe and a GBH contributor. Hi, Shirley. Hi. Hey. Hey, Shirley. I think about you a lot home there with the two kids. I have a lot of empathy for people home with little kids at this time. How are you doing? 
I'm doing okay. You know, um, that, um, what is it? It was that space scientist who, who she, she had a, 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 she was ranter yesterday about, uh, do you guys read about this? No. no. Number one store in the globe. This is a, she's like some space scientist. Oh, and she won the prize. Go ahead. Yeah, 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 I did. Go ahead. She's a genius, and, yeah. and she, but, but she was, but, but the day before, she was known for uh, a Twitter rant where she, I think she's in Alabama, and she basically told uh, the teachers, uh, first, first, we're done with first grade, by the way. Like, <laughs> you know, we have two full-time, we have two full-time parents. We are no longer able to homeschool a first grader. And I was in the, almost the same position yesterday. I sent this very similar email to um, my son's first grade teacher because some of the school systems, um, I mean, I love the daily Zoom or daily online interaction with their class, right? But um, this one particular teacher switched to Google. And the Google, uh, the Google Hangout uh, is glitchy in our house. Oh, and gosh. the first grader is in tears every day, oh, uh, you know, try, you know, because he, he's like, I, I can't follow what's going on. You know, he, he's like, the internet is, is glitchy. He's, and I, he has a meltdown every time he sees his classmates. And I, I just finally wrote a note to our, his teacher saying, listen, we're done with Google Hangout. Good I for you. I have my first grade melting down. But you know what she did? What? She offered to, she offered to do. Why? Why don't we do something just with Evan? Oh, you know, oh what a great for. teacher! Uh, That's wonderful. So Shirley, after so, you complained, did you get a Guggenheim Fellowship minutes later, like that <laughs> woman, or not? I'm waiting. I'm still waiting. By the way, one piece of good news, I should say, one of our colleagues is monitoring uh, Andrew Cuomo, Governor Cuomo's press conference, and he says fewer deaths reported today than yesterday. There were a couple of record days and says, quote, there is a dramatic decrease in hospitalizations in wow. New York, which is obviously that is wonderful. good great. news. That is really great. So, Shirley, you wrote a great column, uh, the headline of which is, Can We Ever Eat Out Again? The Future of Boston Restaurants. Uh, what did you report? So, you know, restaurants were, were really at the forefront of the kind of the economic shock of, uh, of the shutdown uh, of a COVID COVID nineteen induced shutdown, and uh, I think starting March seventeenth, uh, Governor Baker said restaurants had to go transition to uh, delivery only or takeout only, and um, and so a lot of restaurants. I, I think one estimate is eighty percent of the restaurants chose to close instead of remain open. And the piece is about how this industry will have uh, the longest road back uh, in terms of recovering. And even when Governor Baker gives the green light, gives the all clear for people to go out to eat in restaurants, to sit in restaurants again, um, a lot of restaurateurs are bracing for a very different environment. Um, Not everybody's going to come back uh, all at once. People you people have been scared straight they've been told the safest place to be is at home and there'll be a certain segment still scared to go out and to go out and eat when when you can actually eat at home and uh so people are preparing for a very slow period when the economy does reopen um uh, many people many restaurants were like we're not going to be able to hire everybody back on day one or day two it's going to take a while to rebuild our business it could take months, uh, if not, you know, the rest of the year, maybe even to next year. It could take a full year. Um, and so it's a very kind of sobering look at 
this one industry trying to get back. They're all, a lot of them apply for these small business administration loans. Um, and, uh, and, and a lot of them wonder, you know, how do we, how do we, uh, this one restaurateur that I interviewed, Jeff Gates, he's, he's group owns Aquitaine yeah. um, and, and others. He says he's, he's following the news out of China right now. I mean, that's what he's, he's trying to figure out because China is emerging from a two month lockdown. You know, are people eating out? Uh, are they, uh, you know, are people, uh, you know, out and about what's going on there? And so he's trying to look for clues and, and, Almost certainly, like people talk about, uh, the social distancing measures will pro- some kind of social distancing measures will be in place. They don't think that they can have operate at a hundred percent capacity. Maybe it's fifty percent. Maybe you can only have X number of people in the restaurant at one time. And and when that happens, how do you make the numbers work? How do you, how does your what does that do to your business model? You know, you mention all these points in your piece, which I think are important, is, you know, all we talked about when we were discussing the same topic a few days ago was when they reopen, obviously, they'll have to have far fewer tables and seats and that sort of thing. But what you mentioned is it's not just wanting to social distance when you go out, it's if you go out. People getting more used to, after only a month, and this is far from over, to take out or delivery or cooking at home. They're more used to working at home, which means they'll be less likely to be out and go to restaurants. So there's got to be a huge campaign, which I'm assuming there will be, by the leaders of the city and the state to encourage people to get back to restaurants. But you know, one thing that's driving me nuts, and it may be on a Globe website, and if it is, I apologize in advance because there's a lot of good resource stuff on Boston.com. For the Using your number, for the 20% of restaurants who are still doing takeout and delivery, I have had a a hell of a time I'm trying to finding find a master list. That's a great point. Most of the list, Boston Magazine was doing it, which is great. It's out of date. At least it was out of date a couple of days ago. If the restaurant – we should be calling them. The Restaurant Association or somebody would provide a link to a daily updated list because I assume, as most people know, a lot of people are doing takeout and delivery in the beginning and stopped either for financial or health or running out of supplies reasons. But if there was an easy one-stop, surely, for people to go to – my sense is there'd be a lot more people using delivery and takeout as in a way to try to keep propping up restaurants that are still open. So maybe you can help make that happen. Yeah, there there are there are several lists running around. We have our own list. I think I've seen a list from like um, other sites like Eater. I've also seen a. I think I've seen a list from uh, kind of the the a, a state of you know the state tourism uh, board as well. Um, but, but, you know, I think every day, it, but it does need to be constantly updated. Because yes. I think restaurants are dropping in and dropping out because when, when they do take out, not every, it, it, I think a lot of restaurants don't make money um, doing takeout and delivery. A lot of them are doing it just to, you know, keep their name out there. Yeah. Uh, there are also employees who want to work. And so, um, and, uh, but, but yeah, uh, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll say something to our food editor again. I know. And that by the way, if it's there, my apologies, but, but, but by the way, if you find out or if anybody listening wants to email or tweet us saying there's an up-to-date yeah. list that I'm missing, we'll publicize it nonstop on the air. We're you talking know, to Shirley, Shirley Young from the Globe. Just one quick question about restaurants. I assume the reason so many tables are crammed in so close together in restaurants is a need to make enough money to pay the rent. Is that why they're all what other all reason would be there? Sadists? I mean, well, what else? I, I, mean, I don't know. Maybe they well, think no, they're no, hipper no. that way, oh. and noisier, oh. and people like well, that. Maybe. No, no. I, I think part. You know, I think 
it is a combination. I mean, you, 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 you people like to be, uh, you know, feel like it's a bustling place. It's the place to be, you yeah. know, and so, um, and, and you, you can imagine what happens if, if the tables are spaced at least six feet apart, you're going to have a different feel for these restaurants, you know? I mean, one of the restaurant tours that in my story talked about how uh, they think that the future is eating at home, entertaining at home. So you're going to see restaurants roll out, you know, take out home, entertain at home menus, you know, and so uh, you can have still restaurant quality food, but but just not in the restaurant. But the old and, cliche, and the, the old cliche was always that the restaurants make their money in the liquor and they lose money on the food. It's true, uh, th- though, though now I think that there, there's this new state law saying that they can. Yeah deliver alcohol and so but i don't know i think that's probably only during the i don't know if it's during the emergency or forever but it's probably just during the emergency but but um but you're right they do make money from liquor and, and that's why you know for a lot of them they're going to have to redo rethink their business model at least for the next you know probably till the rest of the year you know i mean a lot of people don't think it's going to be normal in may uh you know maybe august maybe september you know it will start to feel Maybe more people it will start to feel a little bit more normal, but it might be a full year before it's, it's actually back to normal. Well, let's talk about some of the workers who are now unemployed from there in a second. I just want to give one more update from Governor Cuomo's press conference, thanks to one of our colleagues. The actual curve is, quote, much, much lower, says Cuomo, than any of the projections, which all said New York would need way more hospital beds than they have. By the way, it's still a dire situation there, but that appears to be good news. Here's Governor Baker yesterday addressing what I think he's acknowledging is a problem, uh, uh, saying the state is doing everything they can to keep up with the, the huge increase in unemployment claim filings. I want you to know that the administration is working this one hard. And we continue to expand our capacity and develop new resources to help people who are filing applications. We're glad the online system that we have has been able to withstand the new volume without crashing. That hasn't been the case in many other states. And that's thanks in large part to the work we did to migrate the system to the cloud a few years ago. But the sheer volume of this new influx means we have to do more, and we know that. How how bad are things, uh, uh, Shirley? Well... You mean in terms of, I mean, we, you know, there, there were a lot of hiccups early on with uh, one issue we kept on hearing with password resetting. A lot of people had problems with that. Um, but the governor is right. Our, at least our system did not crash. Um, and, uh, and, and that has been a problem in other states. And as I understand it, I was checking with my colleague, Larry Edelman, who has been on top of the jobless claims numbers in Massachusetts. He says that uh, in the last three weeks, there are um, about 470,000 jobless claims, which you know shatters all kinds of records. He says that of those, uh, about 250,000 are getting, um, of those who have filed, they're getting benefits. So people are getting benefits. It's not, uh, you know, it, it's not everybody, but, but the, the, it seems like the state is processing quite a few. I mean, you have to appreciate that oh, yeah. this, system was not, this system was not designed to handle you know, nearly half a million, you know, jobless claims in, in such a short amount of period. I mean, one of the pieces I, I wrote about earlier this week is when will the unemployment insurance trust fund run out? I mean, that's the that's the, that's where the unemployment benefits are paid out. And and by one analysis by the Pioneer Institute, the money will run out um, in June. And then they um, borrow money from the feds, earlier. you said, right? 
Right, they'll borrow money, but but again, the, the, it, you know, the, the the state will probably have to borrow several billions of dollars. I mean, again, we we were not this this, this system was not set up to do that, and so, um, you know, instead of I I don't think we can borrow a way out of this. I mean, the, in the next uh, economic rescue package, and I think they are, I think the Congress is talking about this. They're going to have to underwrite. They're going to have to just give grants, billion dollar grants to states so that the unemployment benefits can keep flowing, you know, past May and past June. Well, you know, and we, Massachusetts is, go ahead. No, we had Elizabeth Warren on the other day who said that it, it, right. at the top of her list or near the top of her list for things that have to be in the next package is more assistance for the shortfalls, regular budgeting and unemployment yeah. funds. Can I just say a couple things about this, if I may? My understanding from what the governor, first of all, Tory Bedford's doing great reporting here at GBH on this too. People should check out those stories as well as uh, Edelman's. Is, is uh, My understanding from what Governor Baker said yesterday is if you were already qualified in getting unemployment insurance, on, you know, if you were an employee, uh, the additional 600 a week from the feds will automatically be added. Correct me if I'm wrong, and there's no a problem. The two issues that we have gotten the most communication about, and I'm sure you have too, is lots of people. I think Sean Murphy wrote this a couple of days ago too in your paper. A lot of people having trouble getting calls back when they have issues yeah. that they just cannot figure out how to deal with. And number two, yeah. and this is this latter one is through no fault of the states is all these newly qualified people under the so-called CARES Act, the $2.2 trillion relief package, gig workers, uh, independent contractors, people who heretofore were not eligible for unemployment under state law, who now are, that requires a a huge system revamp. And those are the people who, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, are not uh, yet in the system, not yet getting benefits. And a lot of them are hanging. And by the way, a lot of them are restaurant worker types are hanging by a thread. That is correct, right? Yes. The the Well, a lot of them are, I don't know how many are restaurants, but a lot of them are gig workers, like Uber yeah. drivers, Lyft drivers, self-employed. I mean, uh, self-employed, you know, uh, the self-employed, they, the, the governor said yesterday that they won't be able to process their claims until the end of April. So wow. it sounds like they have to hang on for two more weeks. And um, I, and we have been hearing from those workers now. Now I have heard that some 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 people have filed their application with the state, but they I don't think they've gotten any money yet. Like so it, I think it's it is possible to file a claim, but you, you you don't get the money. I mean the hope is that they'll get their money retroactively. I mean that would be the way to kind of make up the difference. Is that you know that that they'll be able to get. You know, they, while they might not be getting a check this week or next week, but by the end of the month, they'll get a bigger check. Um, I hope that's and true. So, um, but but um, but yeah, it's 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 ter- I mean, it's terrible for the gig workers, and there are many of them. I mean, I mean, they're quite a. It's, it's a big percentage of the labor force that, um, you know, it's a lot bigger than I think we think. So, Shirley Young, we, we have two competing views of the world here. We have one story uh, from the Globe, that, uh, from the Washington Post, that says that the big, those big banks that got those billions of dollars in taxpayer money as bailouts in 2008 are now the same banks that are screwing these people that are the small business people that are trying to get uh, these business loans, the so-called Paycheck Protection Program. Uh, Somebody from the SBA in Nevada complained about that. Meanwhile, uh, these small business owners are complaining 
that the SBA has made these last-minute changes to the terms of the Paytech Protection Program so that they have no idea, um, some of the banks have no idea how to process them because there's too many last-minute changes. So what is going on here? Well, the I mean, it, the, the role, so part of the, the economic rescue package, a big part of it was $340 billion to help small business owners get back on their feet small business owners like restaurants and, and re, uh, restaurants and the rollout has been, it's been completely bungled. I mean, this, the, the reason why Congress rushed to pass that package is so that they could get the money in the hands of small business owners as fast as they can. But, you know, banks, Bank of America, now Bank of America, I think was one of the first few first big banks to participate in the program last Friday. But the problem is that they, they made their, they made people jump through hoops. Yeah. Uh, you know, at first they, 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 uh, they said, uh, you know, people thought you had to be an existing, not only did you have to be an existing customer, but you had to have a loan or you had to have a credit card. And so it's, and, and we heard from people uh, who said, listen, I've banked, our nonprofit has banked with, uh, Bank of America for 40 years and its predecessors, yet they refused to let us put in an application because we didn't have a loan with them. We didn't have a credit card mm. with them. By the end of the day, Friday, I, I, Bank of America changed the rules. They they relaxed them. But um, but I have to say... Well, they, re- wait, 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 they relaxed them in part, but part of the new rules, part, from what I understand, right. is if you have a loan at another bank, even if you do right, they, qualify, they won't, right, they won't, they won't process you. Right. Yeah. Go ahead. I'm right, sorry. Right. But I was to say, and then, and then some, you know, but then some big banks, you know, like Sanda and Terror, like I don't even know if they, if, if some of the other big banks didn't even have the program up and running. Um, and so if you are a longtime customer, I mean, we had a, we had a note last night from Sanda and Terror that, from a customer saying that, listen, like, I don't even think they, they, they're processing our application. I think Citizens was also late. I think on Friday, they weren't processing. I think it, it took till the beginning of the week to process applications. So small business owners are really frustrated. And, um, and all, in addition to all these last minute changes uh, on Thursday night from the SBA that, that changed the terms of the loan, the interest rate. And as we quoted, we quoted the co-owner of, of Jack's Abbey, which is a, a, a craft brewery, saying that, listen, like we, we, we got all our, you know, we, 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 we were all prepared to file Thursday. We get, you know, for a certain amount of a loan. And then Friday morning, they changed the terms. And then we had to redo all the numbers. And, and, and there's, there's, and if you read the fine print, the SBA has called these guidelines or rules interim final. And so now there's a concern that even after applying the loan, the government's going to change the rules on them in the, in the middle of the game. And you so, know, can uh, I just, so a lot of people are really freaked out. Can I give people a couple of updates, which they probably know, is that uh, there seems to be bipartisan agreement that the $349 billion is not enough. Uh, Mitch McConnell and the Republicans and Mnuchin won dad $250 billion. There was a meeting in the Senate yesterday. It fell apart. So because Democrats and Republicans disagreed on what else they should do, and it's adjourned till Monday. We spoke to uh, Richie Neal, the chair of the Ways and Means Committee, yesterday, who says they should add a trillion dollars to that fund, not $250 billion. But I, I want to end this by saying the most, if you're one of those small business owners who's trying to hard not only keep your business afloat, 
but keep your employees who you have close relationships with working. Virtually every small business person we've spoken to on or off air has said that's their primary concern. To hear the President of the United States on Friday afternoon or Saturday say how day one Friday was, quote, flawless. I know. How it was glitch-free when you're in enough agony already because your business is hanging by a thread and your workers are. is just so crass and and horrible. It is yeah. just – it is unbelievable. But but you point out, Shirley, and, and, that the small banks are doing better than the big banks in a lot of cases. Right, yeah. right. So, so I quote Leader Bank and, and part of it is that they can process manually – and um, and so some some of the first checks have been out the door this week already from Great. the smaller banks, and so uh, so good news on that front. But but Neil is right, uh, you know, the the small businesses probably need a trillion dollars, not three hundred and fifty billion dollars. Shirley, thank you so much, and and good luck to the kids. Boston, thank you. Yeah, I'm Boston Globe Business columnist Shirley Young is a WGBH contributor. She joins us every week. Thank you again, Shirley. Up next, to take a Howard Stern interview to meet the real Tom Brady. Emily Rooney joins us with that up next and a bunch of other stuff. You're listening to 89.7 WGBH, Boston Public Radio. Ahead on Boston Public Radio, Emily Rooney will join us in a couple of minutes. Then, got milk? Dairy farmers certainly do with the mass closures of schools, restaurants, office cafeterias. Dairy farmers are struggling to reorient their supplies toward the places that need it, retail grocery stores. But it's not as simple as changing a delivery address on Amazon. In a couple of minutes, we'll hear from Corby Cummer about how dairy and produce farmers and beef and chicken suppliers are doing. We'll bring you portions of the Trump Corona Task Force live at 1 o'clock. Then we'll open the lines and ask you, does being locked in your house provide a great excuse to say no or no excuse to escape Zoom get-togethers with family and friends you really can't stand? That next is on Boston Public Radio 89.7 WGBH. WGBH. Hello again, Jim. Hello again, Marjorie. So is it time for Trump to put the brief in his daily press briefings? <laughs> Turns out the more he talks, the less Republicans even like what he has to say. Joining us six feet away and more, actually, in Studio uh-huh. 4 for her take on this more is Emily Rooney. Emily is, I don't even know how to, she's host to Beat the Press, which obviously <laughs> kept Friday nights right here on GBH2. But apparently she is also host of a show I thought I was the host <laughs> exactly. of called Greater Boston, what is up with that, please? Did you just see Twitter last night? Somebody said it was obviously a cover-up. <laughs> I said, I said, uh, you know, you weren't here tonight or something like that. And they said, yeah, likely story, whatever. Yeah. So can I say what's Better going watch on? watch out, Jim. Yeah, you tell Let me what's tell you what's going, going on. on. It's great. I mean, the, the yeah. bosses here decided that uh, we should have 
news available to you tonight via Greater Boston five nights a week. And Emily was kind enough to agree to do two of those nights. I'm doing Monday through Wednesday. You're doing Thursday and Friday. And for those who love your press coverage, yep. that'll be integrated De- into definitely. Friday night's show, definitely. right? Definitely. That'll be in there tonight, too. By the way, and I, I this pains me to say, but you were great last night. <laughs> oh, jeez. Really, thanks. It was really, really hard to watch. Yeah, it was very difficult for Jim. It's been really in a bad was. mood all morning. Oh, stop it now. <laughs> thanks, Emily. You're terrific. No, to I, you know what I remember, Jim? What's that? It's a grind. <laughs> you I think said, it all so? came flooding back to me. I said, "Oh my god, this is a grind." Okay, <laughs> Emily. Uh, so let's let's uh, talk a little bit about uh, the president's uh, taking some grief, even from Republicans, about his performances at the press conferences that he's been giving. The cor- I should I mean, say this the, is, the task force. Yes, task this force is sort group. of this double edged because the media has nothing to complain about. For one thing, he's making himself accessible for. Sometimes forty-five, sometimes an hour and a half mm-hmm. on a daily basis. You know how presidents have sometimes gone months and months and months without press briefings in good times and bad times. We haven't had to deal with any of the press secretaries, and in fact, he got rid of his press secretary this week, hired a different one, a press secretary who, by the way, never had a press briefing. Mm-hmm. But I mean, there are these oddball rambling. He reads these statements, which he's clearly uncomfortable with and hasn't seen before he starts reading them. But they are fairly factual, usually about the transfer of, you know, personal. Fairly factual. Well, yeah. You know, That's fairly, a great line. Exactly. More or less. Yeah, more or less. T- bragging about what he's done for the states and talking about how, how many uh, ventilators he has and where they're going. And then he opens it up for questioning. And then it becomes just the free-for-all. He starts... You know, dumping on calling Chuck Schumer a disgrace or yelling at reporters and saying you're third rate or you're never going to make it. And he gets it's, it becomes this very personal kind of political, you know, back and forth. And, and that's what Republicans are saying. He's just going and then he starts flying off the handle about things like, uh, you know, chloroquine and how that's really the miracle cure. And pretty soon everybody's going to get that. So it's it's the combination of things like that that has. Republicans concerned. Well, you know, there, there are a couple of interesting things here. Republicans like Lindsey Graham, who obviously yeah. is a total a loyalist, says uh, in the New York Times about this uh, that he's told the president, your opponent is not Joe Biden. Yeah. It's the virus. <laughs> yeah. The Wall Street Journal, which obviously has a pretty conservative editorial yeah. page, did a uh, – we mentioned this yesterday – did this editorial called Trump's Wasted Briefings. In the middle of this, they were, part of what they wrote is uh, uh, – COVID-19 isn't shifty shift, meaning Adam (laughs) Schiff. It's a once in a century threat to American life and livelihood. Of course, Trump called that fake news. Let's just have a little sample of when he does go off the rails. Here's a couple of days ago. He's bragging about the ratings uh, for the briefings at the same time that he's obviously trashing the New York Times. Here's uh, Donald Trump. Even they said that the ratings are like Monday night football ratings and that these are like Bachelor finale. That's their end. When the big deal happened, I have no idea what happened because I'm too busy working on this. Someday you will tell me what happened. You know, and and one of my favorite examples, by the way, Marjorie and I were talking before it went on the air today about the fact that almost every day when he references the, uh, uh, quote, Spanish flu of 100 years ago, he refers to it as the flu of 1917, which, of course, was 1918. No, but it gets better than that. Tell uh, Emily and listeners what you said to me. (laughs) Well, I think it was yesterday the day before he called it the flu of 
1917 and 1918, because I figured somebody told him, Mr. President, the, it was 1918, but he didn't want to admit that exactly. he was wrong because so he, he had to stick with that. So he yeah, wanted so to combine stick the, with that. Exactly, yeah. the two of them together yeah. kind of thing. But, you know, the interesting thing is this is not just the, uh, the perspective of three people and Lindsey Graham who occasionally disagree with the president. We more than occasionally well, disagree. Mitch McConnell. The polling numbers also suggest that while he took he got an initial hit, part of this rally around the flag thing, as Chuck Todd said to us yesterday, and I'll paraphrase, the more people see him, the less they like of what he's doing. So these uh, these briefings, which have essentially become his daily rallies, yeah, a few of them have, have, gotten, have gotten a little bit briefer, and he's turning. And what, what the Republicans are saying is you should turn the expertise elements of this over to the experts exactly. and stop trying to wing it on stuff that you don't know anything about. Well, you know, in fairness to the president, the last two days he has been very brief. Yes. Friend, I thought one he day wasn't listening. even there. And the whole tone is different. Pence does a really good job. He does, he actually. Does actually. He, he, he knows, <laughs> also, he knows what he's talking about. Yeah. He shows well, empathy. He's steeped in it. Yes. Well, and he, but he's also empathetic, mm-hmm. which Trump can't. No. Seem to muster. But can I, can I do a comparison, by the way? We ran yesterday, because it happened during our show, Charlie Baker's press conference. Now, what was interesting to me by comparison is when Mary Lou Sutters, the head of Health and Human Services, stood up, she did not go on for 30 seconds about how brilliant Charlie Baker's no, leadership is and thank him. When Karen Polito, the lieutenant governor, stood up, she didn't fawn all over Charlie Baker. No. She and, delivered her report on domestic okay. violence. When Baker gets up yesterday, I mean, I took an entire page of notes of the factual information that he was relaying about, you know, what they're doing over at the convention center. Yeah. They're going to have beds there and what they're going to do with this machine in Somerville that can clean these masks. It was facts, 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 yeah. facts facts. And that's what you want. And the president... I wish he had a little more flair in the facts. So, well, oh my he's God. not exactly... Reading that stuff is so tedious. But that's oh who he God. is. I know. I mean, and, and, I but, know. It's, but it's important information. I know. You know, know. And, and that's the thing. He just has that monotone. Ah, yeah, but my ah. point was they don't... There's not a requirement there, unlike uh, uh, in, on the White House, no, they that everybody who works for has him to say has to flatter. fawn over him. Yeah. And if you take that away from Pence, yeah. I have to say he's been an impressive yeah. character. No, yesterday was great. They had Pence. They had Fauci and then Fauci had, does not fawn over him. No, he, he does not. He does not. And Burks, and it was it was full of information, and there wasn't this yelling at the reporters and telling them they were a bunch of jerks. Yeah. I mean, it, it's really bizarre. You know, and we I talk. Think, I'm sorry. Uh, and I think even Mitch McConnell, as I said before, has told him that really get out of there and let Fauci and Burks. But be- to his credit. He asks. He answers every single question, even when he notes a lot of the questions are hostile or he doesn't like the person answer, Emily, asking the question. What are you talking he about? He doesn't answer the questions. He, he dances co- away from the ones Marjorie, that are put, Marjorie, put Every up. president in the history of the universe has done that. He calls on people by name and he berates them and goes. But but then he gives them some kind. He of He does a, call on people, yeah. even those he yeah, can't stand, he, like Jim Costa and Yamiche Nelson. I don't think he answers the questions. Well, because well, often they pull the mic away when the question. <laughs> They turn the mic off. I wish I could do that. Yeah, exactly. So staying on a similar theme just for a second, did we discuss Cuomo and Cuomo with no, you last week? No, we haven't week? done that yet. No. So what's, can we just play a little sound? This Everybody in America is talking about this, frankly, is Andrew Cuomo, uh, Chris Cuomo. The rules at CNN used to be don't interview yeah. your brother. The rules changed recently, even before Chris Cuomo came down with COVID-19. And there's been this brotherly act kind of thing. Here's just a snippet from several days ago of the two Cuomo brothers together. He is going to be fine. He's uh, young, in good shape, uh, strong, not as strong as he thinks, but...
Yeah, uh, that's from a press briefing. That was from the press briefing. Yeah, in a minute we'll get to the two Cuomos. Are you troubled by – we talked last week about after Margaret Sullivan and others and Ben Smith. Are you troubled by the fact that in the middle of something really serious, his brother is interviewing his brother? Well, first of all, Chris Cuomo is a polemic. He's not a straightforward journalist. He never has been. So um, his show has always been this kind of in-your-face – you know, extremely liberal, pro-Democrat. So, and his brother's a, a Democrat, the the governor of New York. So you're right. So in 2013, when Chris Cuomo first got his own, 2013, when Chris Cuomo first got his own show, Jeff Zucker called him inside and said, stop interviewing your brother. You know, that's inappropriate. It's a conflict of interest. It doesn't work in our best interests. It's not compelling television. Well, after Chris Cuomo got diagnosed with COVID-19 and Andrew Cuomo became like this daily briefing star, you know, going on every day at noon or thereabouts to update the citizens of New York, which everybody started carrying because of the detail and the level of seriousness and the command of the situation that he had, that it became compelling television. Jeff Zucker decided, hmm, you know, you got the combination of the hero, heroic governor of New York and the kid brother in his basement Let's see if that works. It's been a huge ratings bonanza that. for CNN. And some of it has been very, very serious and tense. Like uh, Chris questioned whether uh, Andrew Cuomo had jumped quick enough, whether New York was really lagging in their efforts to uh, you know, stem this thing before it got rolling so far. I mean, New York is the hardest hit state. and But in a lot of this is kind of silly banter and pictures of when they were kids. And it's, I have to say... I'm one of those ones who's just been riveted by it because to see Andrew, you know, he used to be – I always just thought he was a little bit of a bozo. I hate to say it, Andrew Cuomo. And now, I mean, he's become like this – even the way he talks, it's, it's, there's something compelling about it. Somebody uh, said a few weeks ago, I can't wait for this pandemic to be over so I can go back to hating Andrew Cuomo again. <laughs> but it's like, I don't think that's ever going to happen. Can I tell you, I had the exact same transition on Andrew Cuomo, but we were yeah. talking to Bob Thompson, our TV guy, yeah. about this on Monday. And what did it for me, I don't know if it was Ben whoever wrote about this. Ben Smith. But it made this point, uh, because I'm where you are. And then I read this, which said, how would you feel yeah. if uh, uh, Jared Kushner was working for Fox News and he was the primary interviewer of the president of the United States, his father-in-law? And all three of us would be at least – well, I can't, shouldn't speak for you. I think I know I would be absolutely apoplectic. And so why is it not okay? Well, they have a 24-hour uh, cable network that already does that. No, but I understand that. nothing but so- lob softballs. Well, are you okay, with, are you okay with that? But, you... but I don't think Chris Cuomo just does that. I mean, you know, Jared Kushner is not even close to being a, a journalist. I mean, Chris Cuomo has asked his brother – Tough, Tough questions. questions. Yeah. Some, made, made yes, some, yes, yeah. Uh, uh, usually has I still think said. he should have his – even though I enjoy the brother thing, I still think it would be better if Cooper or somebody else were the doing same. the – Well, of would course it? it wouldn't be the same. No. We're talking to Emily Rooney from somewhere in the building. <laughs> so, Emily Rooney, I think of you – we're talking about people that should be deputized to go out and stop <laughs> uh, people that are standing too close together on sidewalks. You immediately came to mind. So I'm wondering what you think about this story in The Globe about cities closing streets to make more room for walkers and runners. Maybe they should close a section of one of the streets in the back bay so people could, like, walk in the middle of an empty street like they're doing in uh, parts of uh, New York. Yeah, I, I, I think they tried it in New York and it didn't work. 
And what, what, what happens is in these big urban settings is it, 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 it encourages more people to come out. And then before you know it, you're more shoulder to shoulder. I, I, closing streets to me doesn't work. I mean, there are other proposals uh, in the works about like one-way paths and yep. that kind of thing. Now, that makes sense. For instance, the Boston, the Esplanade, which is just an incredible popular place to go, usually between the hours of like 3.30 and 6 o'clock at night. Yep. I mean, I've been out there myself. And people are going every which way, and you're shoulder to shoulder. It's like they've got to do something about that. They've got to make it one way. or And that's a long loop around. I don't know how to, you know, I don't know how to how they would possibly enforce it. And that's the other thing. If you close down streets, enforcing it, some of the cities who tried it have said, you have all these police officers out, out there, you know, enforcing traffic rules because people want to pull the barriers down and drive through. Or they've got to get somewhere. So I'm not so sure if it's practical in a downtown area. You know what the perfect place to do with this is to make mm. a pond. I agree. Jamaica Pond is yeah. beautiful. It's it's you know you're walking around Jamaica Pond, yeah. so obviously you don't have to worry about getting from here to there. You just did. Matt O'Malley, the council recommended that. Matt O'Malley that? wants Matt to O'Malley? do it, yeah. but whether it's happened or not, yeah, the Jamaica Pond is a good good yeah. idea. Yeah, and, and Jim doesn't Memorial Drive usually close every Sunday? Oh, it in, does. In, in from like summer anyway. Yeah, summer so till it's a great fall. Idea. It's great. They could do that, but they'd have to put a stripe down the middle that made it one way. You know. Yeah, but uh, again, the point there when Memorial Drive closes, needless to say, it is packed in a wonderful way from, you know, yeah. stem to stern. Kind. But I agree with you. The unfortunate thing is it would attract more people than the good it uh, would do. So, Emily Rooney, I thought I was the only one that was suffering from a uh, peanut butter panic kind of thing. <laughs> I have a lot of peanut butter because peanut butter is one of my favorite yeah. foods, if not my favorite food. And I'm a big fan of Teddy peanut butter, too. So tell us about te- – I didn't even know it was made in Everett. I didn't even know there was such a name of te- – I mean, I, I, I usually – I like really – crunchy with the big oily, the natural peanut butters. Yeah. But so I was unaware also, my financial guy was the one who told me this, that peanut butter was flying off the shelf. He says, I understand toilet paper, but Jif? It was like, <laughs> so I guess people are running to get things that are canned goods or, I mean, peanut butter has a lot of protein in it. If you can't get meat or a lot of, there's a lot of chicken shortages yep. around. The, so it's something that's filling that, you know, it's either lunch or dinner or however you want it. And yeah, so this company in Everett, Teddy, has just had a run on its peanuts get you know pulled in from I think largely the the, the south and the you know the Georgia area. Salt and peanuts, two of my favorite things, <laughs> and they and they've had to hire more workers. They're going around the clock. They can't keep it in stock. You know, the same thing happened with all these uh, these all these canned goods, which I, I found shocking. Things like Chef Boyardee went flying off the shelves. Things that people haven't really eaten in a long time since. People have become more food conscious and aware of, you know, if you look at the contents of Chef Boyardee, it's like 60% salt. By the way, Teddy is natural peanut butter, unless I'm mistaken, because I is buy it? Teddy peanut butter. It yeah, it's got that oh, uh, very oil. I would it's, love it. It's not That's at me. all like Jif or Skippy. It's much more like the... the With the, the crunchy, oily stuff. Yeah, to mix it in. Oh, it's yeah, It's really me. good. Plus, you don't have to refrigerate it. If you buy I the peanut butter... refrigerate bu- any peanut butter. Well, if you buy the natural peanut butter at... At, not the one you make yourself, but the ones that come in the three sixty five containers. How much do you love making yourself at Whole Foods? You I, press the I don't, button. I don't. <laughs> I don't. Oh, I don't. I, I, I love watching. Stick your head under I there. I think it's much better. I take think it right ones in. The jars are much better. But in any case, they want you to refrigerate those, and and you don't have to refrigerate Teddy. By the so, way, we I should give credit. Billy Baker is the guy who wrote he, the piece oh, yeah, the Globe, which is terrific. I love Billy Baker. He's a great writer. But Jim and I are really concerned about one shortage that could really stop us in our tracks. What's that? That is. No. Lima beans. Oh, I'm, you know, by the way, excuse Marjorie, what am I eating as we're talking, Emily? What's right here? Really? You got a whole Tupperware container. Lima beans with a little feta on top. I brought them in today. And by the way, 
people don't know how good they are. They don't know how to cook them. It's all the way you cook them. Well, what do you do? actually? Let's stay on this. This all is right. what really matters for a second. <laughs> well, I had like a what whole bag do? last night. What do you do? So do so, I. I have a bag I mean, of night. I, 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 I steam them just in a little bit of water until most of the water is gone. Love that. Then I put in some butter. Okay, mm. a ton of butter. Yeah. <laughs> And then I stir saute them until they're brown oh. and slightly crunchy on the outside. Oh. They are so good. Am I right? They literally. They. They're like, Margie. You don't. You haven't. You don't, lived. She doesn't know. Okay. Really. I'm going to get some lima beans. I have never done, done. I've never done the sauteing thing. I'm going to do them tonight. Oh, that sauteing until they're brown oh, and then a little bit God. crunchy. Oh. <laughs> it's over. But you have to cook them all the way first because you don't want them. Now, the only Crunchy problem on the is right now to get frozen lime beans, you have to drive to Ohio. Yeah, I, once you, no, wait a minute. Once yeah, there you was them, a lime bean shortage a few years ago. You steam them for a while. Did you buy the frozen ones so the, or the, the non-frozen? Non I've never had frozen. a non-frozen lime bean. you got to do the baby limes, by the way. Let's make Babies, it clear. Very don't good they book. come in cans? Oh. Well, you don't want canned vet. I was talking to somebody okay, who I'm shall sorry, remain I'm unnamed. You want raw. Who's a coworker of ours who eats canned vegetables and loves imagine. them. I can't, I'm not going to tell no. you who it is. I can't. I'm but let me just say this. Uh, for those who have not tried <laughs> lima beans, that's one good thing that can come out of this nightmare. Yes. Emily is right, and I am right. They are terrific. How do you cook them? Uh, well, I'm embarrassed. I steam them, but that's all I do. And then oh. I, put, I put a little bit of butter because I'm a little more concerned about my health than you apparently are. <laughs> and uh, but there's and put pepper, I ground pepper, pepper and of course you just put pepper and salt. And, but you, you brown them a little bit. Okay. Oh my gosh. So Howard Stern. <laughs> Howard Stern. Hold on, hold on. Let's just, just finish this. Yeah, so do you eat them? What is a main course? What am I doing right now? Last night I had some, you know, gray sole and, and lima beans. Oh, gray sole. And I put a little. Beans. This morning I decided to put a little low fat feta on them. And I, was saying, really I had good. Teddy peanut butter and bananas. Oh, Marjorie, geez. by the way, for those who don't know, and they wouldn't, Marjorie eats peanut butter out of a jar with a spoon. Oh, I, I do. Just I eats it. it like yeah, peanut butter is my favorite thing. I consider myself an aficionado of peanut Beautiful. butter. Beautiful. Okay, so let's go. Howard Stern, uh, yes. by the way, it, for those who just think he's a shock jock, in oh, my no, opinion, fabulous interview. You can get people to say things from Hillary Clinton yep. to Tom Brady in this case. Two-hour interview the other day. Brady apparently is a huge fan and has been for yep. a long time. Here's the piece that's getting the most places on Sirius XM. Obviously, we're we're uh, You're not really Stern's supposed to excerpt them, but okay. Well, we're not. So, uh, well, I didn't know that. Yeah, so go ahead. Let's eliminate that from the live recording. He is uh, talking about some, let's call them, marital issues with Giselle Bunchen. Here's Brady. There was, you know, a couple of years ago. You know, she didn't feel like I was doing my part for the family. You know, and she felt like I would play football all, all season. And she would take care of the house. And then all of a sudden, when the season would end it, I'd be like, great, let me get into all my other business activities. And she's sitting there going, well, when are you going to do things for, for, the, for the house? When are you going to take the kids to school and do that? Right. And that was a big part of our marriage that I, I had to, like, check myself. Because she's like, I have goals and dreams, too. The situation wasn't great. She wasn't satisfied with our marriage. Good for Giselle. That was nice. Good for Giselle. Yeah. Well, good for him to talk about good it for, too. For, I, I knew he was going. I mean, I, he must have put some parameters on it, or otherwise Howard would have asked about his sex life because that's kind of where he goes. Oh, that is a very know. good point. Oh have. my God, yeah. that he didn't ask about Giselle Bunchen and yeah. her gorgeousness. Yeah, yeah. that's he a very good point so. because you know that's the thing about Howard Stern. Oh, he goes right into the gutter. It's, it's, my, it's, yeah, my, my it, daughter is like a, a Howard. Just she's you know. Howard all the time, and I have it on. I have it. I have Sirius. I do listen to it, but he goes there a lot, and it's it's hard to listen to. Now know? he claims in his book 
that he doesn't do it as much as he used he still to. Still does it. He still does it. Yeah. That's unfortunate. Yeah. yeah. You know, there's another piece that I had not heard in the interview that uh, he's too old to do Dan that. Sha- it's gross. Dan Dan Shaughnessy <laughs> is uh, oh, yes, yes. wrote about how great uh, how much we learn because yeah. you generally don't learn anything from a Brady uh, interview. Doesn't he's pretty good at saying very little. Uh, here's from Dan's column, I think, this morning. Brady said. Uh, Brady sa- even said that the story Bob Kraft has been sa- – by the way, we should say, if you don't know, Shaughnessy can't stand Bob Kraft and never has been a fan of his. But Shaughnessy, in my opinion, if he states a set of facts, they are the yeah. facts, has been circulating for two decades that rookie Brady allegedly told Kraft, I'm the best decision, meaning drafting him in the sixth round, this organization has ever made. Brady said it was inaccurate. Asked about Kraft's yeah. well-worn tale, Brady told Stern, "Didn't say I that. didn't say yeah. that. Whoa. But, you know, speaking of Dan Shaughnessy, I had him on Beat the Press two weeks ago or maybe three or something like that. And, you know, it was right after we started this, um, you know, working from home kind of stuff. And I, Dan was home, and I, he, he was on the phone, and he mm-hmm. told me then. He said, oh, no, no, no. And this was crafted over a year ago that Brady was going to leave. And then... Brady essentially confirms that in his, yes, in his interview. Does. Dan already knew that, that, you know, that Belichick and Brady had said, you know, this is on at the end of the rope. He, he's got to start looking for the future, which is basically what Brady said. He said that made sense for him. Um, I wanted to get out and do one more thing. I don't care about my legacy, which I thought was kind of interesting. That's what he said anyway, that his legacy, of course, would have been the New England Patriots and if he had finished his career there. But he said that's not what he cared about. He wanted to, to go somewhere else and try something new. You know, before we leave uh, Brady, uh, the other night on uh, Greater Boston, when I was still allowed to host my own show, <laughs> uh, uh, they, the, I, uh, they got the hook, Jim. I had, before, I had somehow off. I have this feeling that Jim's going to be back next Thursday. Well, yeah. who knows? No, actually, and I, yeah. you know, I was obviously this is. It's great. You're no, difficult. I don't know how you do it. I say it to you all the time. Well, in any case, Three hours of radio you. a day, t- television. Every- no, it's crazy. Well, as you know, we have great coworkers, too. Yes, but in any do. case, uh, as an aside, I, I'm not telling what somebody what they should do with their money, but this is an important time where if you can help others, you should. I had Matt Light on the other night, who obviously is, was a three-time yeah. Super Bowl champion blocking for Brady, and he set up this thing to help people – uh, make these videos sort of off the the, uh, the ice bucket challenge to raise money for restaurant workers, bar workers, that sort of thing. And he went to Purdue, and we got talking about his quarterback at Purdue, who's now the quarterback of the New England Saints, Drew Brees, who I happened to meet mm-hmm. when we all got yeah. our heads shaved. He was up here yeah, sure. uh, uh, whenever that was a month ago at Granite Telecommunications, where Governor Baker— He used and, to be a patriot. Right, uh, well, Matt Light was, but not. But Matt Light and Drew Brees were there. Yeah. Even though he plays for New Orleans, he was, he was there— Breeze, uh, uh, in addition to having the most touchdown passes in NFL history, he's a little ahead of Tom Brady. Breeze gave $5 million to feed poor people in New Orleans in wow. the middle of this coronavirus thing. And, you know, you really, I, in my view, you have to celebrate those who decide to put their money where I their agree. mouth is. Well, I mean, and, the Crafts did that thing with the airplane. I know. That, you know, again, they I agree. They didn't even tell us how much that cost, and that had to have been a ton of money. But here's an opportunity where arguably the most famous athlete in America could really— Well, he might. I mean, well, I, might. I don't want to be critical yet in terms of—we well, don't know. We don't know. It's yeah. true. But I think he could set an example of 
We did know. In any case, <laughs> uh, uh, Emily, what are you doing tonight? On yeah, we, well, we should explain that my uh, Emily's list has been a victim of the coronavirus. Right. Yeah, it's okay. <laughs> we forgive you. I know. I just, you know, You're Jim, busy so cooking <laughs> the lima beans. <laughs> I was doing Jim's show last night. Oh, no. I had a list, and I thought, you know, Next this week. doesn't we'll be quite fine. measure up. So yeah. we'll do it. So Okay, so what are you doing tonight? tuned in just for that. So we are looking at the the uh, we're looking at un- unemployment first of all for un- under the Greater Boston umbrella and just that you know the Pioneer Institute says by June first it's going to be twenty five percent in the Greater Boston area in Massachusetts essentially that's the tech industry the restaurant industry you know construction industry that's huge considering it was two point five percent in February wow so we're looking at that and how quickly it will come back you know Jerome Powell. Chairman of the Fed yesterday said yesterday that he thinks it's the economy is going to bounce back yeah. very quickly. But we're talking about certain sectors because, as Shirley Young, Young just told you, some sectors are not going to bounce right back, and, and that would be including the restaurant industry. And, and we, um, what else? We're looking at um, the you know the, the Trump press conferences, and you know what, what again whether we're doing a service. By carrying, some some stations have started dipping in and out of them. Yeah. It seems to be the right way to go. When the information appears, carry it. But when it starts just this rambling stuff, get out of it. Well, so. today is the first day uh, when when Marjorie and I and our colleagues made a decision to do exactly that. Uh, starting that day, coincidentally, is when Trump started doing his press conferences in prime time. Today at one o'clock is the first day where a Trump press conference will happen during our show. We're going to carry it, but oh. we're going to do exactly what you talked about. We're going to take a little, and if all he's doing is assaulting I wonder reporters, why he's doing it or, early. I don't, I don't know. know why. He might have Maybe some big going somewhere for the weekend. Maybe, <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> or he's got some announcement about uh, something. That's true. But, but the other thing is, I, I have noticed, um, and I'm sure you have too, that some of the stations, uh, CNN, which is what I watch uh, most, yep. is putting is correcting him in real time with chirons underneath, and saying that's that always that, a danger too, because you just you know. I think it's a good thing. It's it, good if you've got that completely right, or you know what he's going to say. Because you start jumping on stuff, it's like uh, yeah. But when when you when you're saying things that are untrue about a health crisis, I think it's and important. if you don't correct them until two hours later, you probably exactly, lost the audience that heard it. Because yeah. there are people that are yeah. tuning in, especially people that are uh, big Trump supporters that are tuning in to see these press conferences, which of, of course also run on Fox. They're coming away with a lot of misinformation because the president, you know, says these things that aren't right a lot of the time. So, I mean, I think it's important yeah. to point that yeah, out. I agree. In any case, we'll be watching. All right, Emily, Jim. great to talk to you. Be See well. You next Thanks week, a lot. Bye. See you tonight. Emily Rooney joins us every Friday. You can keep up with her on Friday nights right here on WGBH Channel 2 at 7 o'clock for Beat the Press and in a stunning move on Thursday nights as well <laughs> for Greater Boston. Uh, that's Jim's show. Anyway, Emily, thank you very, very much. Uh, coming up, we're taking a look at how coronavirus is disproportionately hitting people of color. We're going to talk to Boston City Councilor Andrea Campbell. She's next on 89.7 WGBH, Boston Public Radio. Uh, welcome back to Boston Public Radio, Jim Brady and Marjorie. And before we uh, proceed, I, I mentioned a minute ago uh, this thing that Matt Light, former Patriot, former Super Bowl champion, is doing this great thing to raise money for restaurant workers, bar workers, that sort of thing. And I didn't mention what the name of the challenge was. It's called Lift Your Spirits Challenge. Just Google it and you'll find out how to participate and what he's doing. And that, that seems to me to be a pretty great effort. In any case, the U.S. Surgeon General says African-Americans face a higher risk of coronavirus, while data on race and coronavirus is too limited to draw sweeping conclusions everywhere, 
Disparate rates of sickness and death are emerging across the country, including in communities like Mattapan and Dorchester, where over 50% of the population is not white. Joining us online to talk about this and more is Boston City Councilor Andrea Campbell. She represents District 4, which includes part of Dorchester, Mattapan, Roslindale, and JP. Andrea Campbell, it's great to talk to you. It's been a while. Yes, it has. It's great to talk to you guys and uh, my has uh, landscape changed since, and uh, oh, happy my... Good Friday. I would only take time on a Good Friday for you guys. Oh, you're so good oh, to do no, that. Thanks. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you know, that, you. Uh, you, you do think about how tough it is for people that are uh, ce- celebrating Passover. I think the first night of Passover is tonight, right? And Good Friday is, was it last night? Anyway, the other night, yeah. yeah. The other night. We're in the middle of it now. Yeah, yeah. and this yeah. this day, Good Friday and Easter, which is always families get together for Passover and Easter, it is, it is a hard thing. It's not so much fun having these holidays at home in your house, is it, Andrea? <laughs> no, it's, it, it's hard. I mean, we're all, I mean, I'm quarantining with my husband, and I often say, thank God we love and like each other. And, you know, I have my two-year-old and my four-month-old, but um, and I'm doing a lot of praying. So it, it's that season, and, and Good Friday is just an opportunity for, our, for us believers and, and those out there who believe in prayer to keep praying for, for our city and our country and the world. You know, uh, uh, Counselor, I, I'm sure you've been focused on these issues forever, but I think for much of America, these health disparities sort of became center stage in the age of coronavirus when the New York Times and others reported a couple of days ago that uh, deaths from COVID-19 in places like Louisiana and Chicago were in the 70% range, 70% being African-Americans, while African-Americans only made up a third of the population there. Part of the problem as you know, is that at least as of that day, there were only, I think, eight states in the District of Columbia that was breaking down infections and related deaths by race. But we're now beginning to get some data from our hometown here from Boston. What are we learning? Yeah, I mean, obviously, COVID-19 is a tragedy that's affecting everyone, right? Um, Everyone is getting or knows someone who is getting sick or has died from this. People are losing their jobs um, and their ability to support their families. And, and frankly, people are very scared. Um, but we know that while this tragedy is hurting everyone, there are uh, communities that are being, um, the impact is greater. And of course, those are communities of color in, in low-income communities. And uh, the data just released by the city of Boston uh, yesterday um, points out that uh, African Americans are experiencing higher rates of uh, confirmed cases um, and as we learn more about deaths, we will also see that they are also dying a lot um, at higher rates as well. In my district, which is largely uh, Dorchester and Mattapan, I have a little bit of Jamaica Plain in Rosdale, has one of the highest percentage of black residents uh, in, than any other council district. So, of course, I am extremely concerned. Uh, these uh, folks behind the data points are friends, are constituents, are my neighbors, uh, are relatives. And so there's a lot more that we have to do uh, in order to address this issue. But we first have to be we have first have to make sure that we are accurately um, framing the problem and in completing the picture. And if we don't talk about race, we won't be doing that well. Well, and also to complete the picture, you can't just begin and end with coronavirus. The first person with whom we talked to about this, I think it was a couple of weeks ago, Sandra Galeo, who's doctors, uh, the dean of the School of Public Health at BU. Uh, who's going to be with us Monday again, by the way, had just finished a press conference, I think at the State House with some other public health people when he joined us a couple of weeks ago. And he had written a piece with them, I think, in, on Commonwealth Magazine's website, but somewhere talking about the health disparities 
for uh, African Americans and Latinos that pre-existed uh, coronavirus that are being exacerbated here. Sort of a it didn't it, it isn't like all of a sudden these these disparate impacts of coronavirus came out of nowhere. They essentially are That's a natural right. product of the disparities That's that right. existed before. So step back and give us the big picture about in the unequal access to high quality health care. No, that's right. I mean, the while the inequities are, are sad, they're not surprising to me or many others who've been focusing on eradicating inequities um, in our careers, right? Um, these, these communities of color, which are uh, immigrant communities, have, like you said, suffered uh, incredible health care disparities around asthma, diabetes, heart disease, but they've also suffered higher rates of poverty, poor schools, um, economic inequities, and as a result of those inequities, they're less resilient, right? They're, these communities find it more difficult to bounce back in the face of unexpected disasters. So whether it is an economic crisis, a natural uh, crisis, or a public health crisis that we're, that we're in. And, and I'll just add, it's not just the inequities that are going to exacerbate how COVID-19 shows up in these communities. Many of the folks in my district in particular they're the wage workers, right? They're the working class residents, city employees on the front lines as first, respond, first responders, public works employees, our inspectors who are out there, our nurses, our PCAs, our healthcare workers, our MBTA employees. They're on the front lines and by the very nature of their jobs, exposing themselves every single day, which of course uh, increases their, opportun their opportunity, increases uh, their exposure to catching um, the virus. And some of these communities are more poply, uh, more densely populated. I have a lot of public housing in my uh, district. And, and because of that, um, the spread, and we know this is very contagious, is more likely uh, to also exacerbate how, how COVID-19 shows up in, in parts of my district. Well, you know, the other thing we've always read over the years, Andrea, which is terrible for COVID-19, is the higher rates of asthma from pollution uh, in inner cities all around the country, you know, and, and that's, that's a big risk factor for this disease. No, that's right. And, and, and asthma is just one of uh, the pre-existing pre conditions we should be concerned about. You know, I wanted to give kudos to the mayor. Uh, the mayor at a press conference um, did talk about asthma rates in the city of Boston being higher in, in neighborhoods with uh, communities of color, residents of color, so including Mattapan, Dorchester, and Roxbury. So the data is out there with respect to asthma, diabetes, uh, heart disease, immune deficiency uh, disorders, other uh, uh, pre-existing condi conditions that make these communities more vulnerable to COVID-19. And so we have to be very careful um, that when we are crafting solutions, um, that we are making sure that this information, this data is, is a part of the conversation. You know, uh, we're talking to City Councilor uh, Andrea Campbell about the disparate impacts on people of color uh, in a negative way of uh, this coronavirus. And we also heard from MGH the other day, 35 to 40 percent of the cases, not deaths, but cases they're taking are Latinos, which obviously well outstrips their percentage of the population. People are emailing and saying, is the state releasing this data? And from what I understand, they've just begun collecting it. And I read, I think I read something last night where Mary Lou Sutter, the Secretary of Health and Human Services, was apologetic that the sample 
I think a third of the people who have either died or or gotten ill, only a third of the exam, uh, of the of the total numbers have they drawn this information from. So they're acknowledging they have much a, a ways to go to fill That's out right. the picture. Right. You know, one thing I wanted to ask you though, I, I, when I first read these rationing guidelines that came out of public health people a few days ago, if we get to this, and obviously we hope we don't. I assume most people either read or heard about them here or elsewhere, that the criterion, the criteria are likely survival. If you survive, how long would you survive? People in medical trades and pregnant women who are well along are the sort of priorities. But just staying with the likely survival and how long you'll survive, my sense of that with no expertise was that sort of bakes in the discrimination in healthcare against it's sort of like a double whammy against people of color. That's exactly right. However, you, what, what, you hit it right on the head. That's well, right. I want to say I, I spoke to on television the other day, Dr. Trug from Harvard, who was one of the people instrumental in get, getting these uh, these guidelines together. And he and I really was impressed by him, I have to say. And he could not have disagreed with me more. You appear to be on my side of this. Why, why do you feel that way, Andrea Campbell? Yeah, I'm on your side, Jim. Um, and, and, and I have to give kudos and credit to my colleague, uh, Councilor Ricardo Arroyo, mm-hmm. um, who represents District 5. And in his uh, district is also seeing high rates of, of COVID-19 and disproportionately affecting residents in the High Park neighborhood of his district, as well as Mattapan. We split Mattapan. And we filed a hearing order to have a conversation on these guidelines. Um, First, most people don't even know about these guidelines. So I know you were just talking about, you assume that people have seen it. I think if you just sort of are engaging with folks on the ground, they don't know what we're talking about. You're probably right, you're probably right, yep. Because these guidelines are going to dictate if we get to a space where we are short with respect to ICU beds and ventilators, they're gonna dictate who lives and dies. And, the hearing order that we put forward says, one, residents should know about this. These conversations need to be happening in a more public venue. Um, and we're concerned about who is informing the conversation, who is at the table. Just on a call this morning with electives of color who are all discussing this issue, um, John Santiago, who was a representative, but also an emergency ER doctor, um, said that he and other doctors of color were very concerned because mm-hmm. they use a point system in these guidelines that have uh, these sort of pre-existing conditions or certain diagnoses like diabetes, heart disease, asthma, as a part of the system. And so we're saying that these health inequities should not dictate who receives medical care. Um, so there are a group of doctors who are looking at this, particularly doctors of color, and saying, They're raising all of the red flags around these guidelines. Council Royo and I want to have a hearing hearing on this to say come before the public to have a conversation about these guidelines and the various hospitals who are interpreting the guidelines differently. We also want to hear from you. What is your interpretation of these guidelines? How will they be applied? Because we do not want to see our residents dying at alarming rates or being prevented from receiving ventilators or ICU beds, um, these health inequities are not because of them, right? This is There's a historical context mm-hmm. around race and racism in this country. Although it's uncomfortable to talk about, it needs to, we need to talk about it. 
because it's informing what we what we're seeing on the ground with respect to how this is going to affect our communities and particularly communities of color. So we, we're going to have a hearing on this. Um, and there's other things that we're doing too in this space because there's a lot of solutions. It can't just be about access to care, of course. Um, but there are other things that we need to be doing as well to meet the needs of these constituents. By the way, just uh, for, in the spirit of fairness here, even though you and I are in agreement about what the practical impact of these guidelines may be, there is language in here that says what may not be taken into account are things like race, immigration status, socioeconomic status, et cetera. I'm not quarreling with your analysis, Counselor, but just, there is that language and people should take an opportunity to uh, take a look. We're talking to Andrea Campbell. Yeah, and, 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 and we're pushing back. It's, it's, it's that color, color blindness mm-hmm. approach, right? We've seen that in the law too. You know, let's act like it doesn't exist. We're not going to take that in consideration. At some point in this country, we took race into consideration, right? And it had an effect on how people uh, were, you know, the economic opportunity they had access to, the schools they went to, what neighborhoods they were allowed to live in. And I'll give you an example. I always use a personal story. My father was born and raised in Roxbury. He was a a wonderful uh, student. He did really well. He was a BPS kid, just like me. Um, And when he graduated from high school at the top of his class, he often talked about how hard it was to get a really good job in the city of Boston and how he was explicitly told that he could not get a job or certain things were not afforded him because he was black. This was in the 40s, the 50s, and the 60s. Um, And so this was when race was used to hold people down, to marginalize, to exclude, to oppress. And so fast forward, we cannot then say we're not going to use race it's already showing up in communities in a disproportionate way, in a negative way. So now we have to be mindful that the effects still exist, right? Um, And so this colorblind approach is not the right approach. Uh, We cannot ignore the reality of certain communities that race and racism played in creating the conditions in which we find our residents in. Um, Poverty, the lack of uh, opportunity, the lack of economic opportunity, the racial wealth gap, continues, it persists, the achievement gap, the inequitable schools in our city in particular, all of this has to do with race and racism. And we have to be able to have a conversation about it in a a way that uh, allows everyone to be at the table, to learn from one another, but to not ignore it. We're talking to Boston City Councilor Andrea Campbell. You know, Andrea, uh, the City Council many days ago now uh, voted symbolically because you, you can't, you know, the power to do it, but symbolically to call for moratorium on rents and mortgages. Um, because obviously, if you're out of a job now, you can't pay your rent. If you're a small landlord and nobody pays the rent, you can't pay your mortgage. The legislature has to do this. I don't understand why they haven't done it yet. What's going on? Um, you'll have to ask them, but I will tell you, I, I do think, you know, the council, my colleagues on the council and the mayor um, and his incredible leadership team are working really hard every single day to meet the needs of our Bostonians in this crisis. Um, and that is, you know, providing rental assistance, uh, support, um, not loans, but grants to our small businesses. Um, we are making sure that those who are suffering the most not only can reach us and call us, but are getting the resources they need to, to stay afloat, right, uh, to meet the needs uh, of their families. Um, and so the conversation on the council having to do with evictions and moratoriums, the city has taken some steps, particularly within our Boston Housing Authority, 
to make sure that people are not displaced during this time, especially if they lose their jobs. Um, and it's the right thing to do, right? Um, we want to make sure that people are not facing eviction during this crisis because many people have lost their jobs. They are struggling. Um, and so we're hoping that landlords will be understanding and humane. Um, and then we're also saying, you know, if you have the ability to pay your rent, we'll do that. But in many instances, folks cannot because they've lost their jobs. And it's also dangerous to the public health of everyone if we have folks suddenly becoming homeless um, during a time when we're saying stay at home and, and practice physical distancing. And the courts right now, what does it do with the courts? They put a moratorium on court hearings about evictions, correct? That's right. That's right. Okay. But, but that being said, you know, what also has come up in, in different conversations is that although the courts, that may be the practice of the courts, the people on the ground are still getting notifications, still getting letters from landlords, either, you know, put, trying to push them out or raising their rent. So we have examples of folks who have received letters where their rent is being uh, increased in the month of May, for example. Um, during this time, I think we would all say that's not the right thing to do. Um, and so how do we make sure that our folks uh, in our communities, particularly those that are vulnerable because they are now unemployed through no fault of their own, um, that they're allowed to stay in the safety of their homes until we get out of this. And I think we can then roll up our sleeves to make sure that landlords, residents, and others are made whole. Um, and we can get creative as to what that looks like when we get out of the pandemic. But we don't want to be displacing people during the pandemic. You know, I want to reiterate, I'm so glad you said what you said, uh, Counselor, because we every time we've mentioned the absence of legislative action on this, we've gotten emails and tweets saying, what are you concerned about? The courts are closed. Well, as somebody, I mean, I was a tenant lawyer when I was a kid in the South Bronx, as I've said a few thousand times. The vast majority of people who were, quote, forced to move out of their apartments weren't ordered to do it by a judge. They got an eviction notice from a landlord, and either out of fear or whatever, they agreed and moved out. So unless there's a comprehensive piece of legislation on Beacon Hill, uh, landlords who are unscrupulous, and I don't mean all of them by a long shot, but those who are, are going to be able to get rid of tenants and put them at, at great risk, even without the courts being open, even without the ability to proceed with a formal eviction. So yeah, I'm so glad you said that. I hope that answers the question for those who think that closed courts are uh, enough because they are not the legislature should uh, act. Right. And, and I want to just say, you know, there are a lot of moving parts right? Our, our residents need a lot right now. Um, and so in addition to obviously access to, to health care uh, and, and financial assistance of different kinds, you know, we, we also want to always be, of course, expressing gratitude to our people who are on the front lines, you know, our doctors, our nurses, health care providers, our, our EMS and uh, workers, our firefighters, our police, all of our Central City employees, those people uh, who are working at the grocery stores, the restaurants, uh, the bodegas, the, the bus drivers, uh, our civic association leaders, our mutual aid groups. You know, when we're doing all of this, I, I just really want folks to take a moment and in any way they can to express gratitude yes. to all these folks who are going out every day on the front lines. Um, and, and another piece that comes up often, too, is, is of course, mental health. Uh, I just filed a, a resolution with Councilor Asabi George in Mejia saying that we, we might want to look at establishing a, a fund of some sort directed at organizations that are providing mental health supports during this time 
because it is critical and I think we, we almost want to, should be thinking about funding a, a campaign of some sort that when you're looking at the TV and the people at home, so they're looking at TV quite a bit, that they are uh, being, not just looking at death stats going up, but also seeing messages around taking care of oneself, um, turning the TV off and the media off and social media off for a moment to just breathe. Um, if you're a praying person like me, pray. Um, or just uh, or reach out to, to a telehealth organization or providers who are still providing uh, mental health services online. That is critical too. So we just raised that up at the council as well. Uh, and then in partnership with the mayor, of course. And then, you know, another piece I care deeply about is, is education. And in Boston Public Schools, we talk quite a bit about schools and then there's a lot happening there across the Commonwealth, not just in Boston. And, and you know, there are two major concerns. One is access to remote learning and the other is ensuring that those who uh, have that access that it's high quality right that all students continue to learn and grow and so our folks are stepping up but the, the digital divide is real there are many BPS students who do not have regular access to the internet or the computer right now so there's a lot of conversation around uh, how do we improve the quality of remote learning but if folks you know who listen to your programming are looking for ways in which to volunteer um, there are numerous ways to volunteer, and one is thanking people, supporting each other's mental health, um, doing some creative things uh, through do some virtual volunteer possibilities for our students. Um, so there are just different ways to, to participate and to show up in support of our, our neighbors during this really uh, unprecedented time. Councilor, it's great to talk to you again. Thanks so much Thank for giving us a call. Thank you very much, Councilor. Appreciate your time. Thank you. Stay safe and healthy. You, you too. too. You too. Boston City Councilor Andrea Campbell represents District 4, which includes parts of Dorchester, Manapan, Roslindale, and Jamaica Plain. I want to thank Kathy, one of our emailers, who forwarded me an email, which I verified, that Tom Brady and his wife actually have donated uh, 750,000 oh, meals to, the Tampa, to uh, something called Feed Tampa Bay. Uh, and I don't know what the monetary amount of that, but it's, really that's a lot it. of money. That's so, great. Kathy, thank you for informing us of that. We're going to take the president's conf uh, press conference, the coronavirus task force, when it comes up. Uh, and if he doesn't come up for a while, we'll take your calls. Other than that, we'll go to the president. You're listening to 89.7 WGBH, Boston Public Radio. Welcome back to Boston Public Radio. Jim Browdy and Marjorie Egan. As uh, Marjorie said a minute ago, we're waiting for uh, the White House Coronavirus Task Force, and we assume Donald Trump, uh, part of it, will bring that to you live. By the way, remember we asked before when we were talking to Emily, why is he doing it at 1 o'clock rather than his usual prime time mm -hmm. 6 o'clock thing? Courtney, one of my colleagues on Greater Boston, uh, said it's because he has said it's because it's a Good Friday. So that's why he is uh, moving up the time. You know, in case we don't know how long the president's going to take, so I, I didn't want to miss an opportunity to say what we usually do on Friday at the end of the show, uh, Under the Radar with Callie Crossley. And unfortunately, uh, the president is taking Callie's time. Uh, um, 6 p.m. on Sunday, obviously, on the station, is featuring Boston's Poet Laureate and Boston's first Youth Poet Laureate in celebration of April 
National Poetry Month. That should be great. That's Callie's show again, 6 o'clock on Sunday on 89.7. J.I. Bowen is on tonight. Open studio, 8.30 tonight. WGBH2. He's got an all-new show. We're very excited about that. We wanted to wish a happy birthday to, to John, John the Parker. Parker, our happy engineer, birthday, who's looking very fetching in his brand-new mask. Yes, he looks excellent. Anything else? In any case, uh, while we're waiting for the president, and depending on the day, it can be a few minutes, and it can be more than a few minutes, we'll take your coronavirus Calls at eight se- Vyus? What am I? Marriage is what brings us together. together. It's from Princess Bride for the three of you who have not seen it. One of the great <laughs> scenes of all time. Let me try it again. Your coronavirus calls. Anything you have to say? We were earlier talking about uh, fines in, uh, where was it? In Haverhill and Salem. And Salem, if you're not wearing a mask in most places. And Haverhill, if you're not doing social distancing properly. I thought it was a good idea. Some people thought it went too far. Marjorie didn't care. She just wanted to make fun of me, and she did it quite successfully. <laughs> if there are other things about this, uh, we got some news out of New York City, which, I, you know, it's so horrible to use the expression good news. And by the way, you know who did well with this yesterday? Is uh, Vice President Pence, yet again. He did. said these are not numbers. These are human beings. However, uh, the death toll, while still really high in New York City, is uh, lower than it's been the last couple of days, which were record-breaking days, unfortunately. And the hospital uh, hospitalization rates in New York City are, quote, much, much lower, the words of Andrew Cuomo, than they've been. Those are trends in the good direction. So we are far from out of this, but there are at least some signs that this curve, as the expression goes, in some places is beginning to flatten. And as people know, if you've listened to Governor Baker every day, today through the 20th is the peak period here you know in what, Massachusetts. You know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of when we were kids, you can all remember, you know, how much you didn't want to hear your parents fight. Mm. It, very upsetting. You don't want to hear that. When you come to this coronavirus task force, you want you want it to be a, a fact-based, normal, American kind of thing. And, and and that's why I hope he stops doing these or and lets Pence do it, because that's what you want. You don't want to hear bickering and fighting and you're a loser and this person's a jerk. You just don't want to hear that. I couldn't agree with you more. And, and, and um, I, I think that's why he's being hurt by these things, because he just can't can't control himself. Well, also because he doesn't have an empathy gene. And while uh, Mike Pence, when he was governor on a whole variety of issues, showed no empathy for a lot of vulnerable people, has gone out of his way almost every night that he's been he's taken to the podium after the president and shown some empathy for people who are either suffering or who've suffered even worse who have lost people who they love uh, to this thing and these these whole stories i don't know who you're talking about it yesterday the day before on the show people who can't even visit people they love who are sick or dying it's just i i can't it's just unimaginable and and like some of these stories that, oh you know who we're talking about richie neal like congressman neal was talking about the inability of families to visit the 27 people who died and the scores of others who were sick out there in Holyoke. In any case, we'll take your calls on any and all things coronavirus, and we will have to interrupt you the second the president and his uh, colleagues take to the rostrum in the press room at the White House. Ronnie from Uber, and thank you for calling. Hey there. Oh, my God. It's actually you guys live. I yes. think it is. Thank you every day. Thanks. You help me keep my sanity. Thank you, Ronnie. That's good to hear. You do too. So what's up? So I work in construction, mm-hmm. and I'm thankful that I'm still working and have a paycheck coming in. And I appreciate that, you know, all the hardware stores, Lowe's, Home Depot, that they're open. So I have a job in Bill Ricker, and I had a carpenter on site, and he needed some stuff. I said, okay. 
So I said, rather than stop work, I'll go to the Tewksbury Home Depot. Googled it, went. I go in, I got my gloves, I got my mask. I'm trying to get him some hardware pieces. <laughs> and they got the, you know, all the lines on the floor, the six feet, have the distance. I'm trying to wait to get into an aisle. And every looky-loo in the world is bored. They're in there buying pansies, grass seeds, on top That's of a, each other. I shouldn't like, laugh. That's horrible. So I stand in line. I'm at my little line that they got on the floor, and the cashier says, next. And I turn around, and the guy's up my fanny. I'm like, So to speak. <laughs> I said, back up. He looked at me. What's your problem, lady? I said, back up. Six feet. What part don't you understand? Okay. He's looking at me and putting this stuff on the table. I said, I, so I went forward. I said, back up. So they had an employee come over and told the guy, you got to stand over here at the line. Why do I have to do that? I'm like, oh, my God. Uh. So, hey, I guess I, he's missed the, the news. Started, the guy what? Uh, Ronnie, are you still there? So, yeah. Can you hear me? Yeah. I, finish, and then I want to ask you a question. Go ahead. So what happened? You, okay. He listened to you? So I turned around, and I said, do you realize that how endangering you are to these people? I said, you don't have a mask on. You don't have gloves on. I said, and it's six feet. I said, Grass-eating pansies is not an essential item. I'm sorry that you're bored. Every cashier started clapping and whistling. To come uh, to me, do, you want a, do you want a job? I said no. I was no, about to offer you a job right now, actually, Ron. <laughs> hey, Ronnie. That's great. They started get, clapping and whistling. I love it. Good for you. I love it, too. Uh, can we get back to your original thing, how happy you are that you're still working, doing construction? A lot of people, I amongst them, I want you to be happy, Ronnie. Let me be clear. But I'd be happier in some ways if you weren't doing construction. Aren't you, for someone who's so conscious of the risks as you are, aren't you worried about the impact on the people you work with and you of doing things where you sort of have to be close, don't you? Well, no. Right now, every job site, I either only have one person or if, like, one of my job sites, because I have multiple sites, Mm -hmm. have multiple floors. I'm limiting it so that only one subcontractor or one carpenter is in there on okay. each floor. Everybody has a mask. Everybody has gloves, hand sanitizer. I have running water, paper towels, soap, and I have the, the COVID-19 guidelines from the state. My company has them all posted okay. and laminated on a 36 by 24 inch poster that's posted everywhere on the job site. Well, it sounds like you're a responsible soul. And if you want to meet me at Whole Foods later this <laughs> afternoon, Ronnie, just in case I need you, it'd be great. Ronnie, thanks Ronnie, for your thank call. thank you for the call. Don't you love that story? Yes, yes. That is I love exactly it. That's exactly what you want. I love it. Somebody enforcing the damn rules. You know, rules. one of the one of the where was the the, the uh, meme we got from our friend Sheila this morning about the about the people? I don't know. It was lines. from me. I saw it. Well, it was good. great. I think it might have been the post office. I'm not sure. Anyway, it had the it had the six feet. Uh, marked out between the boxes six feet apart so everybody's standing in line the problem is they were only from front to back next to you like a foot and a half away from you was another box so you could be six feet behind the person but about 18 inches from the person next to you and the caption was good thing the virus can't go sideways and that was i thought quite clever in any case let's go to brendan in boston brendan you're on boston public radio jim browdy marjorie and thanks for calling hi Hey, Jim and Marjorie, I hope you're doing well in this insanity here. Yeah, we are. so far, so uh, good. 
Good, good. Well, I just wanted to call and draw attention. I'm actually surprised it's not getting more coverage, but apparently MIT, this was in the Boston Herald yesterday, a lab, um, I think it's called Biobot Analytics. Um, they're an MIT lab. They tested sewage in Massachusetts in a section of the state, which they didn't, they didn't disclose, but they said it's a section of the state that has 446 confirmed cases of coronavirus, at least as of when they did this study, which I think was at the end of March. And so they tested the sewage, um, just sort of a general test in that part of the state, uh, because apparently coronavirus can be detected that way. And what they found is that at least 100,000 people in that part of the state likely have coronavirus. Um, So kind of disconcerting. And meanwhile, you have the president of the United States saying we're going to stop federal funding for tests and you know, if the states and hospitals can get out the test, they should do it. I mean, it's it's the worst crisis management from the federal government, at least since James Buchanan hit in the White House at the outbreak. <laughs> well, you know, it's not hard. Not only, well, I guess I'm repeating what you're yeah, saying. Yeah, looking up the story from the Herald, it's right here. It's not just a horrible crisis management. Is he paints the rosiest picture starting, what day was it, March 6th? When did he say anybody who has a, uh, wants a test can get one? Which obviously was not only true that not true then it's not true a month later. But but Brendan, as you I'm sure know, everybody who is on board about reopening, to use the president's words, as quickly as possible, says you can only do that when there is there is near universal testing, and so he is sending a message that is raising hopes uh, uh, far prematurely that are probably going to be dashed because they're not stepping up to the plate on the testing front. It's just, that's true. Brendan, as always, another great call. Thank you. What the Herald is reporting that an MIT team of scientists is analyzing sewage, as as Brendan said, from more than 100 cities across the country and here at home. And preliminary research published this week focuses on a section of Boston on March 25th, showing that in one area with 2.3 million people, there could be upwards of 115,000 people infected, far more than the 446 confirmed cases in the area where their samples were collected. Yeah. Uh, uh, well, testing. I mean, it was slow testing. It was well, deceit about how testing. How many people do we know? Seth Moulton, the congressman, he had coronavirus, but he was not tested. Remember? We all know people that we don't well, we don't know if he had it, but he thinks he had the symptoms, mm. and he, he thinks he had it. A lot of people, not a lot of people, but several people I know uh, have had symptoms. Some of them have been mild. Some of them very sick. Um, but they were not tested. They, they live with someone who had a coronavirus who was tested. They, for whatever reason, couldn't get tested. So it's probably going to be exponentially higher than it is right I now. I would assume so. Well, and you also mentioned the fact, I don't know if you just mentioned, that the numbers obviously are suppressed because, as we learned, I can't remember who we were talking to about it in the last few days. As you pointed out, the numbers don't include uh, uh, people who are just sitting at home with uh, with. Exactly. Coronavirus, right. Who so, never get tested. You know, the Seth Moulton thing bears mentioning. I believe he's totally on the mend. I spoke to him, what, 10 days ago or something like that. Not only did Seth Moulton, could he not get a test, Seth Moulton, who could qualify for the Cadillac uh, coverage that members of Congress get, chooses as a veteran for tours of duty in Iraq to go through the VA. Uh, despite the fact that he is who he is, he didn't choose to pull rank, and I don't mean that as a pun, he couldn't get tested. Right. So what do you think the average veteran who we allegedly care so deeply about, even though that's not in evidence in Western Massachusetts, what do you think their home. chances of getting a test if they need one are? Uh, well, I mean, you're hearing anecdotally that, that 
I mean, you see it on television reported over and over again, and in the newspapers, people are over and over saying that they tried to get a test and could not. So there's, I, I don't know how many people, but an awful lot of them. So uh, if I can ask people in the control room, we're just advised that uh, the president is not uh, going to do his briefing to one thirty. Should we take a break now, come back, take more calls, and then we'll wait for the president? We'll do that. We're going to take a break. Uh, we will continue with your calls at 877-301-8970. Donald Trump and his colleagues somewhere around 1.30. Welcome back to Boston Public Radio. Jim Browdy and Marjorie. And as we said a minute ago, the original uh, 1 o'clock scheduling of the White House's Coronavirus Task Force has been moved back to 1.30. We will keep taking your calls until the president and uh, others appear, and we'll bring that to you live at 877-301-8970. Let's go to Worcester, where Bob is on the phone. Hi there, Bob. Hey, Jim. Hey, Margie. How's it going over there? I think it's we're okay. Great, Thank Bob. you. How about you? Hey, I called last Thursday, but I was rudely upstaged by the governor, and I didn't get a chance to finish my diatribe. Go ahead. Do your diatribe. Hey, listen, um, as a UPS driver, could you please see, uh, tell the general public you don't need a 130-pound trampoline to go with your order of toilet paper? What <laughs> do you need that 120-pound satay coming in? Please, just get it from essential items. Oh, God. Well, you know, there, I have to say, when people are home with very little to do, a lot of us order more than we should. And there's far too we, – we discussed other kinds of, like, food delivery people – Bob, but we all see you, the guys in brown, and the FedEx guys, and the Amazon people, and it's just, well, you're right, we have to I'm be a lo lot more considerate. I'm, we're with you, but go ahead. I'm telling you, the moron index here in Worcester County is growing exponentially. I'm telling you right now, you can't plant the seed of cement out here. I'm on the back of my career, and you know, I don't need to see my chiropractor every week. We're with you. What Bob, else, Bob? your spirits are good anyway. I'll they say sure that for are. you. Huh? What's up? Margie, yeah. Margie, I got one for you. What? Soli, Soli Rads, Cranberry, and Sprite. It's almost better than sex. <laughs> Wait a minute. Give me that again. Stoli, Raspberry, and Sprite? Well, and Cranberry. Okay. It's Friday night, Bob. We'll see what we okay, can do. Right. Thank you very much. I, knowing Marjorie as I do, Bob, I don't think it's about Friday night. I think it's about Friday at 3 o'clock is what I would... <laughs> Would uh, guess. Well, since he got cut off rudely by the governor, is that it, Bob, or no? No, I got to hit you up because you're speaking out of both sides of your mouth, I think. I think I always yeah, I am, yeah. You were speaking, you were speaking about uh, uh, how you, uh, were, you were going to miss the handshakes. Mm -hmm. And I'm all for that because I was a former shop steward for 20 years. And when I used to go in the office with the labor manager, the first thing you do is look the guy in the eye and shake his hands. Mm -hmm. So you were talking about... Um, uh, finding people for wearing their masks. Now, mm -hmm. isn't a handshake guy? Aren't you spraying germs when you uh, shake hands? Well, wait, wait, let me be clear. I'm uh, During the time of this pandemic, I am totally with Dr. Fauci. All I am saying, not as a science person, but as someone who likes the the behavior like you seem to, Bob, I will have a hard time letting it go when we're out of this. Now, his view is if we want to stay safe forever – We'll give up the handshake forever, but I think you gave a perfect example of where it matters. And so I, in this one case, I think I was actually only speaking out of one side of my mouth, but I know there'll be others. 
Bob, we are really glad you got through and stay safe and take Bob's advice. Don't order more than you need till this is over. How'd you like to do his job, by the way? I, I would be nervous. And how do you feel? I mean, it, he was doing it with good humor. When you know you're delivering a package that is totally unnecessary for someone to order at this particular time and you got to put yourself at risk, you got to be out of your mind, don't you think? Well, yeah. I, I, I don't know why at this juncture you need a trampoline. I'm not, I'm not sure. I did order a trampoline yesterday, <laughs> but it was a trampoline for one kind of. Uh... Okay, let's go to Paul in Uxbridge. Thank you for Hello, calling, Paul. Paul Uxbridge. Hi. Hey, my pleasure. Nice to hear from you. Um, you too. I got a, my son lives with me. He's, uh, you know, in his mid twenties and, uh, I'm not working currently, but he's got to go back to his production job next week. Somebody last week tested positive and I'm wondering what, what production or uh, protections he needs to take. Well, I don't, I, I, I thought the threshold question when you were mid sentence was going to be, does he have to go back? And I don't know what the answer to the question you didn't ask is, but I bet you the attorney think- general's office would. But in terms of, you mean physical protection? I think you know the answer to the question is if he does have to go well, back. Again, I can't answer that question. I just don't know. If he does have to go back, obviously he has got to wear a mask and gloves at a minimum. Would you? I mean, would you not agree? But you can't. You can't refuse to work. Well, I don't know. What I, the, don't I don't know. know what the answer is. And but I really would suggest when the attorney general called us, I think it was last week. She reiterated that they're, I'm sure they're getting a ton of phone calls, but they are trying to answer every question like that. And I think that's a really important one that we should know the answer to, but don't. And so how about this, Paul? Why don't you or your son try calling the attorney general's office? And by Monday, we will try to get an answer from the attorney general as well, because my guess is your kid is not the only person that's being put in that situation. So you try it and we'll try it and... Hopefully, one of us will get some satisfaction and share it. You so, know, uh, please do that, Paul. And by the way, if you do get an answer, email us and let us know what it is. And good luck with your kid. Can what? Can we make sure that we check on that, uh, gentlemen and ladies, or colleagues? That'd be uh, really useful. Well, I know that, that you, there have been anecdotal reports of people being told they have to show up. Uh, it, 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 this is one of the problems with the plants that we we're going to talk about. Corby Cummer, we're going to talk to next week about mm-hmm. the uh, meat plants and stuff like that. People being told they have to come. Uh, to work and sometimes, but I'm not sure told, what the state of the law is. I don't is know what the I'm state of law is either. Uh, but we are getting a lot of emails, people complaining about overloaded parking lots at Home Depot and Lowe's, uh, as one person put it, like it's Fenway Park at the World Series. And then we're also getting emails from people talking about they're having symptoms as well. Uh, Charles, for one, says he had f- f- symptoms that lasted for 15 days, fever, cough, etc. He also has asthma, and he's in his 60s, but was told three times that he did not qualify. Uh, for testing. So, well, can I let me make a suggestion on that front as well? Uh, sometime on Monday, Sandra Galea, who's a doctor who's uh, dean of the School of Public Health at BU, is going to join us. If you have questions that you uh, care about, and particularly if they're ones that will be of general interest, if you email them to us over the weekend at bprwgbh.org or tweet us at BOS Public Radio, we will screen through them and try to ask as many of your questions as we possibly can. So, uh, Please take us up on that offer, 877-301-8970. We're roughly 10 minutes away from uh, the president and his team's coronavirus task force. We'll bring that to you live. Greg in Southborough, thank you for calling. Hi, Greg. Yes, how are you guys doing today? Good. So my question is a little more generic, but uh, with all this financial trouble people are having, how come the credit card people haven't stepped up? 
they're getting 15, 20, 30% interest. Why can't they cut their interest rate in half, which will still be a good amount of money anyhow, for like six months? Because some of these people are living off their credit cards. By the way, are you the guy that's, that's called about this the last? Great question. We've had somebody called nope. the last few weeks. Oh, well, someone else, it's not you, has talked about this. This is my first time. Yep. Well, no, 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 it's fine, even if it wasn't. These <laughs> usurious rates, but that is a wonderful point. If there was ever a time, and by the way, Congress could mandate that. Congress well, has the ability again, to legislate that there's a ceiling on rates. These banks are so powerful, Greg, that they, they managed to uh, get get bailed out. Now, as we were talking about earlier with Shirley Young, get bailed out in 2007, 2008, use the money to buy back shares, give bonuses to executives, et cetera, et cetera. Now they're asking to get bailed out again. Meanwhile, when people are trying to get small business loans from them, they're making them jump through a million hoops. I mean, it is amazing. And interest rates are so low as well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, tons of money. I mean, uh, those rates went up, as I recall. When did they go up that high for the credit cards? In the late 70s, something like that, when there was, was such inflation? Um, but they should they should have come back down, Greg, and they never did. That You can charge somebody like 18% interest when the interest rates to buy a house are like at 3% or something. It's outrageous. But I think it's the power of the lobbyists and the power of big money in, um, in but Washington. This is, but Greg makes a wonderful point. I think it's his point is that if there were ever a time – where there'd be leverage for those who care about the consumer, Elizabeth Warren obviously being at the top of the list, to embarrass her colleagues into doing something here, even if it's only for the the duration of this pandemic, and maybe it extends Correct. beyond. That is a brilliant idea, Greg. Brilliant we'll idea. bring it up with the next Paul yeah, who gives us a buzz next week. The credit card companies are just robber barons. It's absolutely terrible. Carol from Ipswich, thank you for calling. Hey, guys. Hi. Three quick things. Sure. One, let's start with the fun one first. Yeah. I love lima beans. Well, it's you, oh, me, you, me, and Emily. Go ahead. Beyond, and you can't get the frozen large ones. We used to be able to get, when I lived out west, frozen bags of the regular size, not the tiny ones. Oh, I love the tiny ones. But and go now ahead, it's Carol. hard to even get the tiny ones, and the best it is a good way to it butter, butter with curry powder. Ooh. Ooh. Try it. Fabulous. Just fabulous. I am going to try that. I have a couple yeah, extra packs wonderful. if you want to come through Inman Square in Cambridge. Maybe I can fix you oh, up there, Carol. There Go ahead. Um, the second quick thing is I was in a store on the Danvers the other day on the North Shore, and there were – it was very, very busy, and, uh, you know, social distancing wasn't too good, but no one, no one had a mask on. Horrible. What day was and that? I, was in, what I mean, was it was a busy, real busy. When was that? A supermarket in Danvers. No, when was that? Oh, well, the last. Let's see, when was that? Maybe two, three days ago. Well, that's. I was going to say, if it was last week, it's one thing. But serious no, talk about week. masks has been. I mean, I was like a week. Really surprised because I went there to check on some, to get some. They have really good meat. Let's say that. Well, you know what you needed. And if you had Bonnie, that contractor, that called a few minutes ago with you, I bet you everybody oh, yeah, would have been wearing a mask by the end. <laughs> Go. What's your third thing, Carol? The third thing is that um, I am in your corner when it comes to the opinion about handshakes. I at one time had, when I had cataract surgery, I had trouble making good eye contact with people. Mm -hmm. I mean, when you can read it really well. Yep. And there's nothing like picking up whether a person is nervous, whether a person is enthusiastic. You can get more from a handshake. You can read so many things. I will miss it if we can't. Because when I got, we used to use it for work when I was doing management work, I just can't imagine not being able. Well, you know, also, Carol, uh, thanks for the call. And obviously, you know that I'm with you. The, that union guy that called before, it's also a great equalizer. It's one of the things we talked about when we talked about it yesterday. And, and that would be gone, too. By the way, a number of you are 
calling after we mentioned in passing, or not calling or emailing or, or tweeting, about uh, tonight and this weekend's uh, shows. So we want to repeat what we said about Callie and Jared. They do have new shows. Jared's show, Open Studios, will be, as usual, 8.30 tonight on WGBH2. And Callie's got her show on Sundays, Marguerite. Yes, she does. 6 o'clock, 89.7. She's going to be featuring the Boston Poet Laureate and Boston's first Youth Poet Laureate in celebration of April National Poetry Month. I just want to thank Anna, who just sent me an adorable uh, Facebook posting of a porcupine. What's he eating? Eating I, peanut butter off a spoon. We were talking about peanut butter before and how much I love peanut butter. And uh, the little porcupine's got a little spoon in its hands at the Cincinnati Zoo, and it's licking the peanut butter well, off I thought it was spoon. eating a rodent or something. No, I didn't know it was eating, a spoon. it's eating peanut butter. We don't know what beautiful. kind, but it's an awful cute porcupine. 877-301-8970. We're a few minutes away from uh, the, spoon the White his, House coronavirus press conference. Yeah, it's got the spoon in its, it's little hands. It's amazing what makes you happy, is it not? <laughs> you ever talk? Can you hold a porcupine, or are they vicious? I don't know. I don't know enough about the animal kingdom to know, but it's looking really cute. Little hands on the okay, on the thin part of the spoon, okay, and then the spoon looking. The, okay, it's good. right. You should look at it. I will. Nice. I'll look at it. Okay, Lydia, after the show. Lydia from <laughs> Natick here on Boston Public Radio. Hi, Lydia. Oh, hi. Thanks a lot. Yeah. I just want to say that um, when Mike Pence was governor, he really dragged his feet. On AIDS. He oh, did. We and discussed that disgrace. last week with Sue O'Connell's disgrace. Horrible. I'm hoping he's learned from his horrible errors. Well, and and I know that he's doing a good job now, but it's by comparison. Amen. That is. So, I'm so glad you said that. That is so true. But would you not? But it is by comparison, and considering what your choices are, when he gets up there, as soon as he's done with the the endless thanking of the president for his leadership. When he gets to the merits, he actually is doing what you're supposed to be doing. Is, is he not, Lydia, even though everything else you said is right? No, that's, that's absolutely true, and I, I love my mute button. <laughs> I just push yeah. mute when orange face is on, and then I let it go and the facts come. Well, you know, typically in a situation like this, when George Bush the first was uh, in, invaded Iraq and the war was over fairly quickly, when uh, Barack Obama, when the, that his administration, when the Navy SEALs were able to, was it the Navy SEALs that killed Osama bin Laden? Mm-hmm. I think it was the SEALs. Mm-hmm. In, in any yes, case, you know, usually the presidential's approval ratings are through the roof at those times. When George W. Bush, right after 9-11, his approval was through the mm-hmm. roof. The fact that Trump's are only at, at 50, if they're well, even now they're at lower. That, yeah, is indicative of how a lot of the country is unnerved by him instead of soothed and comforted by him. And I remember back when he was running, people speculating about how he would handle a tragedy. You know, like after like some horrible thing like mm-hmm. Sandy Hook, would you want Donald Trump to be uh, bringing you together oh, as a nation? God. And um, you know, we all, I mean, I've said this a million times, but why not say it one more time? We remember that Christy, um, Christy McAuliffe and the uh, astronauts when they were uh, killed in that disaster, the Challenger disaster. Ronald Reagan was one of the most incredible was, moments. It ever. was when he quoted that uh, about heroes. You know, um, uh, people chase after their heroic dreams and how they they slip the surly bounds of earth and touch the face of God. He read that great mm-hmm. poet poem. Mm-hmm. You just thought, because you thought all day, what can he say? And then he got up and said that, and you just were so heartened. And instead, like I said, you turn this on and you see a guy telling reporters they're a bunch of losers and fighting with people. And by the way, Lydia, that was a great call. Thank you. And I think the by comparison thing is important. There are a million examples of that. It's that Bush Bush the Younger standing on the pile with his arm around the firefighter in New York City 
was just incredibly beautiful when he went to the National Cathedral a few days later. When he, uh, uh, I mean, uh, when Obama got up and oh, sang in S- in South "Amazing Carolina. Grace" in South Carolina tell, after that guy went in and shot all those people right in their church. People, right? I, I don't know why, but I watched that oh, the other day. Oh, it's incredible! It was so incredibly powerful. And by the way, again, I'm not a huge well, you know, fan of part Pence's. Of, it, of course, was he could sing. Well, even though that was not as good as the Al Green thing. I mean, in terms of being on key, the Al Green thing was beautiful. It's pretty good. Amazing Grace is pretty good. But, you know, Mike Pence, he doesn't have the verbal or emotive skills, I think, of of an Obama, for example. But he's saying, I mean, as I said, the thing he said yesterday, which I thought was so good, when Trump keeps saying, well, you know, it's much lower, the death rate, it's going to be a win if we only have 60,000 or whatever he said the other day. Pence said exactly what you should say. Because it is, I mean, Trump happens to be right. He just doesn't know how to say it. It is better news, obviously, when the death toll is far lower. But Pence says yesterday, those aren't numbers. Those are real people that mattered to other real people. And in his own way, he, and Lydia's right, by comparison, he did what the American people need. She's 93. I agree. Gets up and gives her speech to the people of England. And, you know, right before Boris Johnson gets in big trouble over there, I guess he's getting better, too, with coronavirus. But anyway, she gets up at 93, and you think... This is this is leadership in in crisis. Well, he does. I mean, by the way, about Boris Johnson, his father is saying, according to the New York Times, that his recovery is going to be slow. That he is doing better, but it's going to be slow. But it, just I to say it again, I thought he might die. Even well, a lot of people did. Yeah. Particularly if he ended up on a ventilator, which he had not. Uh, which he while well, he, he had oxygen assistance, he was not on a ventilator. But I think it is fair to say, and I hope even if you're a big Trump fan out there, you'd agree with this. He's never indicated any empathy for any other human being. Uh, and that, I would argue, is one of the most important leadership qualities in any kind of leader, particularly the president of the United States, particularly in times of great tragedy. And it's just not – it is not part of his repertoire. It's not part of who he is. Uh, let's go to Matthew in Providence. Hey, Matthew. Th- thank you, Matthew. Hi. Hi, Matthew. Hi. How are you guys doing? Good. Good. Uh, long time listener, first-time caller. Thanks. Thank you. I wanted to talk. I work at the uh, VA. I'm a housekeeper there. I'm also a veteran, served in the United States Army under Bush mm-hmm. and Obama. Um, I just wanted to talk about the VA is a very different type of hospital because it's, you know, it's very directly related to the leadership up top. And I want to talk about a comparison. When the Ebola outbreak happened, the VA was so prepared. They had decon kits, tents set up before there was a case even anywhere near us. We still now with this coronavirus haven't had a briefing on proper cleaning oh and what God. we need to do. And it's 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 amazing the comparison. I mean, and like I said, the VA is a very different type of hospital because it's it's it gets its audits direct from the top. And it's it's just amazes me. And uh my mother works at the MICU at Rhode Island Hospital and I, I mean I'm just I'm worried sick about her and um, I mean, it's just crazy. Matthew, have you or your, of your coworkers, any of your coworkers said we would like what we're not getting, training, guidance, whatever is missing? Has that been voiced? Not that it should have to be voiced. It should come from above. But is anybody voicing that or no? Um, I work third shifts, um, so we're very isolated from the top down, you know, as far as direct leadership. Uh-huh. Um, there are some that are, you know, who talk amongst themselves, but it's, it's funny. It, it very runs across partisan lines and, and how people react to this and, uh, and how they feel about it. 
Um, well, you know, it's, that, and, I know you don't need me to say this, but how pathetic is that, that there's a uh, partisan divide when it comes to keeping the workers and the patients safe is pathetic. It's just, can you tell us, do you mind telling us which, which facility that is? I, I work at the, um, the Providence VA. Okay, great. Okay. Uh, I, I'm sorry. It, it's just, yes, it is amazing. And I mean, we'll get through this together as a, as a, as a people, as a nation, as a world. And, uh, I just, we got to keep faith in that. You sound like a really decent soul, Matthew. I should say thank you very much for sharing your thoughts, and we wish you uh, safety. How'd you like to be in a place where people, the people in leadership, apparently don't give a damn, whether it's a grocery store or a veterans hospital or a soldier's home in western Massachusetts? By the way, did you see the story in the Boston Globe that the statement was put out by, is his name Walsh, the superintendent? who was relieved of his duties oh, yes. by Charlie Baker saying, and again, no one knows yet who the tr- where the truth lies. It's being investigated both by the Attorney General of Massachusetts and, we learned this morning, by the U.S. Attorney, Andrew Lelling, from Massachusetts. He is suggesting that when the state says they didn't know anything about this, the deaths, the illnesses from COVID-19, that he was texting, messaging, etc., uh, I would assume he's got documents to demonstrate that if it turns out it's true. So that story is not over. 27, as of yesterday, right. I don't know if it's up, 27 veterans who uh, called that place home. And the allegations dead. are that the staffing shortages and the care difficulties have been known for years over there. Well, I don't think there's any dispute about that. There is a dispute as to whether or not the shortages themselves you know, caused this, but clearly there have been shortages for at least five years. And at least according to the mayor and the governor and others, the guy who ran this thing, who's now denying it, uh, failed to disclose it. But uh, Mayor Morse, and he's told us this, until he got an anonymous tip on Saturday, I think March 28th, I may have the day wrong, and then the next day called Walsh, who was then the superintendent on the 29th, neither he nor, according to state officials, state officials knew anything about the death and dying that was going on there. I think it was up to 15 then, and now it's at 27. And there are dozens and dozens of veterans who live there and workers who are ill, uh, even though you know, it, uh, they it haven't just died. It brings you back when we talk about how we support our troops and we support our veterans. I mean, obviously we don't. I mean, you know, we've had horrible stories out of VA hospitals for years and years. And, they, you know, it's one place one year, another year it's another place. A horrible story now out of Holyoke, horrible story about uh, health care issues, trying to get a psychiatrist, trying to get care mm-hmm. when you've had three and four and five duties in Iraq and Afghanistan. I mean, it just... I mean, we're you know, full of it. We're full. Yeah, we are. I should think we, we be, are full of it. Should we be taking a break, uh, gentlemen and ladies? And, and if it, he, the president appears in the middle, we'll break into the break. So we're going to take a break. If the president arrives while we're in the break, we'll come right back. If not, we'll return with your phone calls until the president takes to the stage. Welcome back to Boston Public Radio. Jim Browdy and Marjorie Egan. We are waiting for what was originally a 1 o'clock briefing by the White House Coronavirus Task Force. It was moved back to 1.30. It's now 1.37. Till the president and his uh, troops here take to the podium in the press room of the White House, we will talk to you. Before we get back to the calls, all of which are about coronavirus, I would just say, you know, I've always wanted to lead a movement. Mm-hmm. 
I believe, and you may consider this a little bit arrogant, yeah. but it is what it is. I believe I'm finally leading a movement. Oh, really, Jim? It is the lima bean movement. <laughs> I am being inundated since Emily and I spoke about the beauties of lima beans. Here's just one of many. I'll read more on Monday. Bob, who now lives in Charlestown, says, Jim, you're a Philadelphian. That's why you like lima beans. I've lived in Massachusetts for 40 years. I was raised in Chester County. It's in Pennsylvania, where we had pole lima beans. Miss them. Listen to this. As much as hoagies, that's what we called subs in Philly, cheesesteaks, John's pork sandwiches, soft pretzels with mustard, and especially, now this is my editorial comment, the worst food on the planet, Scrapple. So it appears that there are a lot of people, I uh, hope Emily is listening, who feel like we do about limas. More on lima beans on Monday, but now we're taking your coronavirus calls, and then we'll go to the president when he comes to us. Let's go to Paula in Leeds. You're on Boston Public Radio. Thank you much for the call. Hi. Hi, first-time caller, long-time listener. Thank you, thank you very much. I really appreciate um, everything that you guys do in putting the news out there. The only complaint I have is that uh, Jim did say earlier that uh, Western Mass doesn't care about the veterans. And I realize you were referring to the Holyoke Soldiers' Home, where it's such a tragedy, but Western Mass does care about veterans. And so I just found that kind of upsetting. Well, my, and, by the way, I, you're right. My statement was more grand than I intended. I meant that for those who have involvement in the Holyoke Soldiers' Home and suggest that they do care about veterans, their actions have been belied by the massive number of deaths and illnesses. So I should have been narrower, I'm, but I'm, you're right. I'm with you on that. I'm with you on that. But the rest of the citizens out here could get hurt feelings from that. And uh, we trust you to be fair. So thank you. Well, you were um, nice to the say other it thing the way that you I did. wanted to say. The other thing I wanted to say, this is completely different, but there's a yeah. science fiction or future uh, author named Ian Leckie, L-E-C-K-E, mm-hmm. who has uh, written a whole series about uh, future mm-hmm. where everybody wears gloves all the time. And, and why do they? And why. Oh, never tells you why? <laughs> we don't know why. We don't know why, but they all wear gloves. Well, you know, Anthony Fauci hasn't told us that yet, but that may be in our future, uh, too. So wait a second. This author, uh, in more than one book, has people wearing gloves in the future without ever explaining it? She doesn't explain it, no. It's just part of the – it's kind of like like it used to be that women didn't go out without a hat on. (laughs) What you know, kind of gloves? Like white gloves of, or plastic gloves or what kind and of gloves? Oh, they're oh, no, they're they're gloves for different occasions. Oh, okay. But you're never without gloves unless you're with somebody that you're intimate with. Oh. Ooh, there you go. Well, that's, we'll be reading <laughs> yeah, those so books, Ian, Paula. It's, it's <laughs> Off Ian, come the gloves. Get down to business. And the this series is called the Imperial Rod Rodich trilogy. It's fascinating. Great. We'll check it out. Thanks so much. Thank you very much for the call. You know what? Ever I think of gloves, you know what I think of right away now? What do you think of? Remember the fabulous picture of Steve Mnuchin, the Treasury Secretary, and his wife with that pile and pile and pile of, of money? zillions of dollars at the mint? Wasn't she wearing long black or white gloves? I don't remember. It was the, it was the most let-em-eat-cake photograph maybe in the history of American government, and I'm pretty sure she was wearing, uh, I think, black gloves, but I could be wrong. Dee from Stoneham, thank you for calling. Hi. Hi. I love you both, Thanks. first of all. And Thank you. if I didn't have you to listen to, I would go mad. You're so nice. Um, Thank you. I, I just want to, you're welcome, more than welcome. I just want to let you know um, I'm working part time at a major retailer, Bullseye, 
And I want you to know, let me shut that off. Mm-hmm. By the way, I'm Mrs. Mnuchin, excuse me, was wearing long black gloves. I she just was checked wearing out the long photograph. black gloves. Go ahead, Dee, take it away. Important, guys. I just want to let you know, um, I've been working there, and you know Brian Cornell, the CEO of the Bullseye, uh, was on stage with Donald Trump and many other CEOs recently, mm-hmm. um, and their website says they will provide uh, uh, PPE for their workers. Uh, so far, I have asked three or four times for a face mask, and I've been told that it's going to be at three weeks. Yesterday, oh I was told I had to clean shopping cart handles and carry basket handles, and I told the store director that I felt exposed, and she told me, well, then you'll need to get another job. And I need money, uh, but I also obviously need my help, and I'm very upset by this. Hey, Dee, would you mind leaving your phone number uh, for us when you're uh, done? We won't do anything with it except maybe call you. Do you mind doing that? I don't mind at all. No, okay. I'm, I'm scared. Okay, don't go away. Marjorie had a question, but then don't hang up. One of our well, colleagues will you, take your number. I was going to ask you who you're working for, if you, if you don't mind. If well, you she don't told mind. us, didn't she? I couldn't hear her. Who you work for, Dee? Do you want to say her again or not? Uh, uh, well, I need the money, so okay. I don't okay. okay. you could figure it out. Okay. Uh, Dee, stay on hold. We wish you better luck at work. You know, how can people do this? How can employers do this? other human beings. Well, I mean, we, I know it's a stupid question. Haven't we been hearing question. for days now when people, employers would bring in their own masks and their own gloves, they were told to take them off because they were scaring people? I mean, who's, this, who's scared of a cash, cashier wearing a mask? I mean, I know we had the conversation yesterday with Andrew Cabral about a lot of uh, African-American men are, you know, worried about uh, people thinking that they're up to no good because they're wearing masks because people pick on African-Americans all the time for doing nothing. But, I mean, really... The, well, let's it, assume for argument's sake for a moment that a customer or two or ten are put off by someone with a mask. And my reaction to that is, so be it. Yeah, so what? If it turns out somebody who has decided that they're going to give a part of their life to help your business and work for you is willing to do it, the least you should be able to do, it willing to do, is keep them safe in any way you can. I mean, well, it's just... Also, long before this even happened, you occasionally would see people on the T or someplace else wearing a mask, mm-hmm. and you always assume that they are ill or yeah. they're just recovering from something and they have a mask on because they're immunosuppressed or something. It just it was crazy, but that's what you would hear from people. Liz in Providence, thank you for calling. Hey, Liz. Hi, thanks for taking my call. Yep. Um, this is kind of related to the last um, caller. I just feel this whole idea of clapping for health workers every night in support, it's a great idea. It's creative, and we're stuck at home and have nothing else to do, but part of it seems a little bit of thoughts and prayers like and I would love to be more active, like we were saying. That's great. How can we actually help these people? Get them PPE. Get them, you know, employ uh, people in grocery stores, the, the things they need other than, yeah. Well, by the way, on that last note, workers. I've yeah. heard in our email and our tweets tons of stories of the generosity of human beings in lots of ways, in any ways they can, including some people, like two of our coworkers who we don't even know, uh, we, I mean, we know them in the halls, made masks for all of us who are still coming to work at Guest Street in Brighton, uh, uh, a small but wonderful gesture. There are a lot of people, I'm sure you've heard, Liz, who are sewing yeah. masks as a group activity in a community and then delivering them to an appropriate place kind of thing. But your comment is brilliant. This It is like thoughts and prayers kind of thing. And it's a great start, at least if there's more to follow it. But I, the, the question is, not only can we do more now, 
But does our concern for grocery workers and other retail people and doctors and nurses and other medical workers, will it survive coronavirus or will it all disappear the second we feel safe again? And I hope it's not the latter, but you make a great point. We should do everything we possibly can or else it's sort of like the vet conversation we're having. We talk a good game and that's the end of it. Thanks for the call, Liz. Isn't that true, though? I mean, you and I were celebrating that clapathon thing yeah. last Friday night. I don't even know if there's another one this Friday night, but it, it's a very nice gesture, but it's not enough, I think is fair to no, say. Not everybody likes be- lima beans, Jim. Well, Bessie just it? emailed and said, who are all these crazy people? Lima beans are absolutely awful. My sister and I used to throw them out the window when we were kids and run out after dinner and bury them in the yard. Really? I think that's, <laughs> can I just say that part? I think that's extreme. No, really, even if you don't like them, would you not agree that's you don't want to eat them. Don't eat them. And Bessie's a woman of principle. She's a woman of principle. She does, however, love to eat peanut butter directly from the jar on a spoon, like that porcupine in the, in the Cincinnati Zoo. So, Betsy, <laughs> uh, unfortunately, you're not on the line. You're an emailer. But I, the question I'd like you to answer with another email that Marjorie will read. Mm-hmm. So does that mean that every food you don't like, you throw out the window, <laughs> and then you and whoever it was, your sister, go out and bury it? Is that? I'd say it's an overreaction. At least that's my... Take on this. By the way, Maura Healy was just on with Anderson Cooper on, uh, well, I don't know if it's just Still on, is. but it's playing now, yep. uh, concerning her investigation, the Attorney General's investigation into the horror that befell uh, dozens Andrew of people in Lelling, uh, Holyoke. The U.S. Attorney is looking into it. He I is. tried to get a call from Andrew Lelling. Well, I'll tell you, <laughs> no, he is... He is I have a heart attack. You know, there are a lot of people... <laughs> I'm uh, sorry, I didn't mean it. Myself <laughs> included, who disagree with some of his prosecutorial decisions, but he is relentless. He has done a lot of really important and good things. And I don't. he said, by the way, it's independent of the independent investigation that apparently is going on, independent of the state's investigation through the Attorney General. Uh, but uh, I, I, I don't know about you. I welcome the U.S. attorney as a third force looking into this. This is a horrible, horrible thing that no, happened there. As soon as you and also, it was somebody's okay. lying. In addition to there being a lot of dead yep. people and a lot yep. of sick people, somebody's lying about whether or not these deaths and illnesses were being hidden by the people in charge. The guy, as I said, Superintendent Walsh said in, this, in a statement that the Globe had this morning that he had told state officials, state officials and the mayor there, the mayor's not responsible for the place. It's a state thing. But uh, both uh, Mayor Morse and uh, uh, Governor Baker and Mayor Lou Sutters and others, health uh, Secretary Sutters, have said the first they heard about this was Sunday night when they were called by uh, Mayor Morse. BJ from Merrimack, thank you for calling. Hey, BJ. Good morning. Um, so I just wanted to talk for a second. Uh, my not not my grandmother, but my cousin's grandmother. But she's been in my life since I was a little boy. We call her Nana Upton. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was just diagnosed. She's ninety-two. Oh. So I, I I know we like to ridicule it, but thoughts and prayers for her. Um, I, I just want to say, like, I'm so grateful at this moment because the original projections were 2.2 million. Um, a lot of people could have really suffered, but. Thankfully, we have Donald Trump in office, and he saved yes. 2.16 million people so far. Did, and yeah. Luckily for us, we have the uh, the president to kind of, you know, where the state's messed up, like New York. It's just such a disaster. Yeah. And he, he was able to come in, like, like, like almost like John Wayne. Like, he strolled You're in right. on a horse You're and right. Right. shot masks. And no, can I say, can I, for once, BJ, I'm going to agree ser- with you. Are you serious, no, BJ? No, he does it. He calls all the time. John Wayne. I know he calls all no, the time. No, but let me tell you. But I'm just amazed that you can possibly serious. think that. I mean, everybody knows, BJ, oh, that that's he not screwed fa- this Marjorie, up. Marjorie, that's not end. fair. When he, when he assured the American people in early March that everybody wants a test, can have a test, even though there weren't any. 
I think that was an important contribution. BJ, thank you for your regular uh, phone call. We really we appreciate that. 877-301-8970. By the way, we're still waiting for President uh, Trump. And by the way, we will uh, carry the governor, who's also scheduled for somewhere around 2 o'clock. As long as I'm piling on to the president, it's not just that he lied about the the masks and said this wasn't a big deal, et cetera. Um, the, the economic damage that we've done because of this. I mean, we could have, and we always talk about South Korea, we always talk about other countries that, that got ahead and had the tests and tested everybody and were able to stop the spread and are now opening back up again. I mean, that's where we totally screwed up, is not taking this Relate seriously. to the fair, Not obviously. having the FDA say this is an emergency, get these tests out, not having the CDC do a better job. We could have been through this. But instead of this, we're talking about possibly 25% unemployment, um, which is, you know, Great Depression-like figures. Why don't you – speaking of people who are clueless, why don't you mention what we just uh, saw on CNN about the governor of Florida, who, by the way, was one of the last people to order a uh, shutdown, one of the last people. And, by the way, with a lot of holes in it, including Mm -hmm. religious uh, gatherings and that, which, by the way, I don't think if you believe in God, you're immune from – uh, sitting next to somebody and being at risk. What is he now contemplating He's doing? Opening the schools. Yeah. So, yeah. in any case, Diane in Fairhaven, you're next on Boston Public Radio. Thank you much for uh, calling in. Hi. Hi, guys. I, I call a lot. You're probably sick of me. But We're anyway. not sick of you at have, all. Oh, thank you. Um, I wanted to bring up the um, handshake thing. I had sent an email yesterday. Oh, good. Let's this hear is it. Autism, this is Worldwide Autism Awareness Month. Mm-hmm. And People who have autism, not everyone, but it's a wide variety of people, they have a thing about uh, touching other people mm-hmm. um, uh, and the looking in the eye thing. Yeah, I know they that. They just can't do that. So if you're not getting a good handshake or a handshake at all, it's more important to get to know that person, and then you'll understand why. We just need to realize that we have a huge population out there of autistic people. A fine so point. It's for them to be unfairly judged is not a good thing. Well, they shouldn't so, be unfairly anyway, judged. Handshake or no handshake, they shouldn't be unfairly judged. Yes, but Diane, is, um, they have a thing called Light It Up Blue. Everybody should put blue bulbs in, and a lot of people already are for other reasons. Mm-hmm. But I like I like to give <laughs> take credit for those on the behalf of the autism community. Good so, for you, Diane. Light th- it up blue. Thanks for so, bringing it up. We thanks. appreciate it. Call us again soon. We appreciate it.